hours. Strap yourselves in for what's going to be a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we should probably say that we have a guest, a special guest. Special, special. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's very humble. He wouldn't possibly interrupt you into yeah. introduce himself. And that, that's how I would start like every lesson though. I would say like hi, how you doing to the class. Did you do you say your name then? Yeah. Or do you write your name on the board? Yeah. Right up on the board. But that that's how they know it's ready to it's time to go. As soon as they know your name, they know it's it's business it's time. It's business time, yeah. 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 I'm really appreciating being the one person on this side. Yeah, we've got you on one side of the room. We should say that the audio may sound slightly different. Kind of askew for this episode. I will try and Fix it as best I can in post. But I feel like you're making it sound like it's going to sound bad. It's not going to sound bad. I'm just bad. trying to cover all gonna, the bases. It's just going to be slightly different. We're using two microphones for three people, so it's taking a little bit of jigging, jigging around. Jigging. Jinx. You want me to cook? You just hit me in the arm. Yeah. I can do I'm that now that we're next to each other. Pretty sure it's domestic abuse. I think we should have this set up from now on. You think so? You with with me permanently here as well. <laughs> Sam and I are like shoulder to shoulder in some kind of little podcast cocoon. We've actually become like Siamese twins where we're like fused at the skin and also on the organ level. We share a kidney. We just opened ourselves up and sewed ourselves together because we love each other this much. We wanted authenticity for our special three-person podcast. So anyway, hi Matthew. (laughs) This this is a pretty good start to the podcast and the listeners, they don't even know that they've rehearsed this for the last five minutes. Yeah, this is actually all from a script. Yeah, it sounded so kind of... Yeah, natural. yeah, that line. It sounded so kind of like I'm reading that you on the You performed that right very now. well, yeah. It's getting real meta on the podcast. Mm. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. My name is Matthew, and uh, Ryan and I go way back. Way back. And Sam and I, Samantha yeah. and I... To be formal. <laughs> to be formal. we are in a high it, society This is a formal ball. podcast. You missed a conversation where we talked about my name. That's what yeah. I- yeah. And so you two are referencing something that didn't happen on the podcast exactly. yeah. and that yeah. no one knows yeah. about. Yeah. But yeah, me and Matthew have known each other like... A few years, I think. Five years. Yeah, that's crazy. And I've known Matthew like... 20. Too many About years. 20 years, yeah. yeah I'd wow, say. that's insane. I know, that's really weird. Two decades. Yeah. And we've wow. only hated each other for half of that. Best two good buddies. two good decades, man. Two good, two good decades. Yeah. yeah. We are best buddies. Adorable. Yeah. It's, I think you should hug now. <laughs> we'll, we'll hug afterwards. My stretch we'll Armstrong see. arms go across the room and... We'll see how this goes. And no. circle you. Yeah. If we'll it goes, see we'll how this hug. goes. Yeah. Like, we're going to ambush you. We're two hours in and you're just waiting for the ambush to happen. When are they Wait. finally going to ask me about that embarrassing thing? Ask away. Go ahead. I told you. Lost. I feel like I... I told you that in confidence. <laughs> are you putting on your own, like, play right now? <laughs> Yeah, I think kind of contorting my body next to you so we can share the same <laughs> microphone has like released endorphins oh. to make me mad. And so, yeah. Yeah. This is episode 14, our first guest. I know. Steph it's, is it, listening it, to this with her blood boiling right it, now. It, it, She's like, I wanted to be the first guest. It's an honour to be the first guest. Uh-huh. It, it's definitely an honour. And after reading this and that, yeah. <laughs> which is my favourite podcast, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> You know, listeners, yeah. I say listeners, all yeah. four of you, um, 
Matthew has not listened to all of the podcasts. Yeah, no. <laughs> he said he's listened to about half. You call yourself and I think a fan. He's exaggerating. Exactly, and I still made it onto the podcast. So, <laughs> what is that? What is that? Uh, damn, damn, we're both fired. That's okay. nepotism. That's because you know the podcast hosts. You got it. Yeah. It's about who you know. It's not about what you know. <laughs> it's not it's about. Not who, about what. Yeah, you know. that's very true. Yeah. So yeah. Who do we know? We know Matthew. You do. We do. Yeah. He's an interesting chap in the British tradition He's of interesting chaps. We'll see. We've got three hours to find out. He's a champion. <laughs> or seven. We just doubled it and added a... The first uh, seven-hour podcast. I told you maths. <laughs> Not even simple maths. Did you just try to say that three times two is seven? No, worse. Three <laughs> plus three is seven. What's even worse is that that's what I just said. That's not what you said. I said three times two. Yes, but saying it like that complicates it. Oh, gosh, it's going off the rails. (laughs) Pull it back. This podcast is finished already. (laughs) This is the maths podcast with basic, like, first-year maths being taught out of... Maths is really hard. Maths is very hard. It's not the best. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to do long division now? I, I can imagine trying to do that because I had to try and do it recently with the children that I was working with. Oh. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Was, we it, sure? was yeah. it mega hard? Um, well, yes. Yes, it was hard. <laughs> um, to put it plainly. Yeah, I mean, what I kind of found as well was that, like, um, so if, if I showed you a triangle and asked you how many vertices... You've lost me already. The triangle had. Vortexes. What, what, what would you think? The vertices? Corners? Yeah. The vert- angles? Corners, yeah, yeah. It's corners, yeah. But for me, I was like, vertices, well, I have no idea. corners then? Yeah, exactly, yeah. But it's, it all goes after a few years if you don't use it. Were you brushing up on Pyagoras' theorem? Totally yeah, said that guy's a name squared perfectly. B squared equals C squared. Yeah. Sounds about right. We're still we're still good on that one. I remember for like one term, I was good at like algebra. And yeah. then I don't, I was never good at maths ever again. It's because you weren't taught Isn't by Pyagoras. What's the guy's name? He's, he's pretty dope. Pythagoras. Or Pythagoras, I don't know. That's the guy. That's that's our boy. Yeah. I just have quite a tra- traumatising memory of being in maths class where I asked to go to the toilet more than once and he said no and I was like, okay, well, I'll just do it now then. On the seat. I don't know why I said oh, yeah. that because that's like not the way did, I did would he, did he let you be. Go? And he was like mortified oh yeah and then and then he still wouldn't let me go and then for some reason i brought up the fact that his son was friends with my brother and they had like taken my toys and like destroyed them and it was like a way to kind of embarrass him and it's very out of character for me to do that yeah. it was this is a strange and convoluted a... <laughs> story and wow. i can't wait for nicole kidman to play you in the movie adaptation she wouldn't play me it's gonna be a good movie man yeah. She's a, she's a decent actress. Who would play you She's with decent. A, she's okay. Okay, I think we should have this question because people aren't going to know him very well. Who would play you in a movie, Matthew? Uh, Adam Sandler. And it, <laughs> it, and it would be a I great movie. Like all Adam Sandler movies. I can't... No. No, you don't think so? I just... I would if, I, try, if I had to handpick an actor, it would be him. I would try to rescue Michael Serra's career by giving him the role of a lifetime, yeah. playing me in my own biopic. I think Jesse Eisenberg should play you. I do like me some Jesse Eisenberg. Did you like him as in uh, Batman v Superman? Yeah. As um, I like him in everything. He's in. Bold, like, hapless villain. <clears throat> I thought he was terrible. That's, oh, do we do we disagree on this? Yeah, I thought it was pretty bad. It was very kind of melodramatic yeah. and I, I thought he basically he is the character of Lex is. But like it was that. so much that it was almost like 
comical in a not good way. Like, I was laughing at him rather than, like, laughing at his comedic chops as an actor. It would just seem like evil Mark Zuckerberg. Or, you know, just, <laughs> sure. just normal Mark Zuckerberg. Is that the only film you've seen him in? Um, I saw he he was in that movie. Uh, now you see me. That was pretty good. Yeah, was it? He was in. I Zombie- don't think it was. was you like this is what I hate. He was you in Zombieland. That movie. Zombieland was pretty good. Zombieland. It was, was pretty good. good yeah. With Emma Stone. Who's he's in good. Adventureland. No. He's in that with Christmas Stewart. It's good. Man, he's oh, getting around. Yeah. He's getting around. It's a busy man. Obviously, he's bedding all the but movie starlets. He was. He, I don't think he was the worst thing about that movie. Batman v Superman. Come on, who would play you? Be serious. I was serious. We can't be friends anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's been fun. We've, we've, we've had a good run. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Adam Sandler. Ten minutes into the podcast and the friendship has ended. Who would play me in a movie? Some some English uh, gent. Someone like, um, not him, but someone like Tom Hiddleston or someone. Very English. Is he English? Yeah. Is that the guy who plays Loki? Yeah. I didn't know he was English. Yeah, he is. I don't keep up to date on actors' nationalities. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Who would play you in a movie? Yeah, I don't know. I say I ask the question and you'd think I'd have an answer, but I don't really. Melissa McCarthy? Please, no. Sad. Melissa McCarthy can only play, like, mom roles. No. Yeah. Who would play me in a movie? I always say Rebel Wilson I to piss you Rebel off. I hate Rebel Wilson. Hate. She's quirky. No, she's fucking annoying and not funny. Sure. This is turned into a Rebel Wilson hate cast, episode yeah. one. I've never seen anything she's in. I can't really... There's a reason for that, Matthew. Yeah. There's a reason. What, what, what has she been in? She was in Pitch Perfect. Oh, okay. And of course you've seen that. She plays Fat Amy. Oh, yeah. Just... That's the name of the character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't just saying she was fat. And great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's a good movie, Pitch Perfect, but... <laughs> I did kind of enjoy it. It's a pitch perfect movie. <laughs> it's like Glee, but the movie. Oh, yeah. And you know how much you love Glee? I, I do love Glee. He did love and that's Glee. And that's a new thing that the, the listeners have, have learned about me. All the time you were watching Glee season one and season two and season three and season four, you were like, the only way this could be better if it was a movie and they did a song with cups. How do you know about the song I know cups? things. I drink and I know things. You drink? That was a reference to Game of Thrones. Ugh. <sighs> You're such a... Was it? Yes. Who says that? Oh, Tyrion's in it. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. You see what I have to deal with, listeners? I tried to make yeah. these deep pull nerd culture it's references. Really deep pull game And I'm just surrounded by Philistines. Yeah. I don't know. Cut to Matthew making a War and Peace reference and none of us getting it. Not Reddit. You're just trying to embarrass me on this podcast, yeah. aren't you? That's all you're doing. We start trying to, trying to show me up. Russian literature. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. How's it going, man? It's good. It's good to see you. Um, obviously, we haven't seen each other for a, a while. I actually can't see each other right now because we're doing this over Skype and you've turned off your video. Exactly. Yeah. You like to do the podcast in the nude, you said? <laughs> it's the only way I know how. So it's, it's the only way I'm comfortable. All swing free. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, that's just the way I am. So, yeah. Should we get into the first topic? We, yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. 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 Okay, so <laughs> the first topic. How do you think we're doing so far? Are, are you asking me to rate the podcast? Oh yeah, yeah, as it's going in in real time. It's very let, different. Let, let's make it meta. A, a real time self appraisal. Yeah. yeah, I think it's going pretty good. We're doing okay. It's pretty giggly because we're all kind of nervous and yeah. a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, 
And that's to be expected, though. It feels kind of like normal, even though it mm. is like a little bit strange. And Sam and I are actually physically uncomfortable <laughs> because we're, as aforementioned, nestled into some kind of fusion of give the two up, podcast man. hosts. Give it up. Yeah. Give us the topic. You know, like the um, the. <laughs> <laughs> You know when you go to say something and then you feel embarrassed because you can't think of it straight away? The yin, the yin and yang symbol, where it's like the two things are nestled perfectly into yeah. like a curved ball. That's what we are like right now. Aww. How dare you make me feel silly for making this reference? You don't. I've been embarrassed on my own podcast. Hmm. Okay, so the first topic of discussion is based on two articles. The first one is a news story on BBC News entitled Solar Powered Skin for Prosthetic Limbs, which kind of rhymes in a weird half rhyme, quasi rhyme way. And this is a news article about some university researchers who have just created a prosthetic arm which has artificial skin, which can let the wearer feel pressure so that they can grab something softly or they can grab it firmly depending on how hard the surface is and it also lets them feel temperature and stuff like that and this skin has like solar panels built into it so it powers itself sheerly from sunlight which means it can eventually become energy autonomous where you could just install this prosthetic arm onto somebody and then they would never have to worry about going to charge it or going to get maintenance or anything like that. It would be a one and done type of thing. And the second article, which, and I'm rolling these into one topic because they're very similar, is a news article on The Verge entitled Elon Musk launches Neuralink or Neuralink. Neuralink? Neuralink. <laughs> a venture to merge the human brain with AI. And this is essentially reporting on a new company, which the much touted billionaire inventor has just launched, which is going to try and create computer chips that can be implanted into the human brain so that humans can directly interface with computers, with computer software. And so instead of interacting with a computer by typing or using a mouse. You would just think thoughts and the computer would register those and respond to your commands. And so on the basis of both of those things that I read, and I was drawn to them because I have a deep love of cyberpunk and sci-fi and all that type of thing. And I'm very interested in like the transhumanist movement. I wanted to talk about what it's going to be like when we start replacing more and more of our selves, more and more of our bodies with artificial mechanical replacements and what it's going to mean when eventually we get to the point where we're more machine than flesh and essentially what are the limits of human? How much can you replace of yourself and yet still be a human? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that's kind of an interesting philosophical Quandary. Yeah. I mean, I think if you have a prosthetic arm, right. that's, that's not too far that you're no longer a human. You're not quite a cyborg. Yeah, I think that's, that's 
a pretty decent yeah. thing. You just yeah. have a yeah, I artificial like arm. It almost, like you said that and then it's like you jump to like well now we're more like machine or robot or whatever than human. But I feel like that's still a long way off because not only is this like chip thing for your head like ridiculously like far away I think I mean what are you going to replace like yeah you might lose an arm or lose your legs but like you'd have to replace are you talking about also like replacing organs I don't know if people have it but I know they've done it with animals mechanical hearts right Mm. yeah like and obviously people have pacemakers so you could almost say that that's kind of almost like having a mechanical heart because your heart wouldn't work without the pacemaker yeah um my point is not so much to comment on what's going on at this exact moment it's just where does it lead to yeah in the near future we're going to get to a situation where more people than not have some kind of mechanical appendage or some kind of chip implanted in them. Yeah. It's not going to be the the case anymore that most people are wholly biologically human. They're mm. wholly flesh and blood. And when we get to the point where most of the human race has some kind of machine aspect to them, what does that mean for our concept of, quote-unquote, a human being or, quote-unquote, humanity? Mm. Could you imagine the types of crimes where if, like, most people are part mechanical, the types of new kind of crimes there would be? Like, such and such hacked into someone's arm and, like, they murdered someone. Who's the murderer then? The person who owns the arm or the person who hacked into the arm? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it opens up a whole new kind of, like, way of thinking. There's going to be some interesting... Malfunctions, yeah. and I don't want to make the joke of stop hitting yourself, but when <laughs> your mechanical arm malfunctions and starts bludgeoning you in the the heart or the head, mm. people might start to rethink how safe and how vital this technology is. But that happens with everything, even though there's like less than one percent of self-driving cars that have crashed and injured or killed their drivers. Everyone is hyper-aware, hyper-vigilant of the fact that self-driving cars, you know, it might just send you plummeting off the side of a bridge or it might just crash you into the the lorry driving in front of you. Everyone is very kind of attuned to the idea that there are these these decently-sized risks. And yet, in reality, they're very, very minimal. Yeah. Um, just, just to talk about the self-driving cars, have you played this game, uh, The Moral Machine? I can't you, say that you've I have. heard about this game. Okay, so basically, yeah, I think this is one of the biggest fears of, like, AI, which is that they won't have the same kind of moral standards as human beings. So basically, the game is you get to decide, right? So there's there's people on both sides of the road, and you get to decide... Or, or actually, there, there's a wall, right? So there's people in the car, and then there's a wall. And you can basically either decide that the people in the car will die, or the people on the road will die. So the car will either turn and hit the people, so as to save the people in the car... Or it will just keep going into the wall um, so as to kill the people in the car. And basically, so the, the people, they're different. So it might say, um, also, there's one woman crossing the road and there's one man in the car, right? Or there's, you know, some dogs and cats crossing the road. Or, you know, there's a pregnant woman in the car and you have to decide. Um, yeah, you have to pick which is the lesser exactly, evil. Which, yeah, which is the lesser evil. 
Um, and I, I think it, it was it was for like MIT or, or something. So maybe this is something they're trying to incorporate into their um, uh, advancement in AI. Because I think that's the big thing, isn't it? The the fear of the moral standards of uh, that's my fear of yeah. artificial intelligence anyway. Uh, because but, if you don't instill some moral standards, they're not going to have any because they're yeah. just going to look at things in terms of numbers. They're going to look at things in terms of geometry. They're not going to think in that ethical dimension mm. unless you program into them. These are your value judgments at any given yeah. situation. Because that's the scene in iRobot, isn't it? Um, he pulls Will Smith out of the car instead of pulling the little girl out of the car. And Will Smith is like, no, go yeah. back and get her. You should have saved the little girl. Yeah, a human would have known that. I know it's a little bit away from what we were talking about. No, that's in- but, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting, though, because you that kind of is a version of a classic philosophical thought experiment called the trolley problem, which is, and this is like very old school, it's this thought experiment where a trolley, basically a tram, is coming down a line and there's five people on the tracks but you are standing at the junction box and you can pull a lever which diverts it down another line where there's only one person and the question is whether you do that or not because if you do it you will be interceding yourself and you will become a murderer in terms of you actually made an action happen which caused that one person to die but if you don't intercede and it keeps going down the same track your inaction will have caused five people to die. Mm. And so the idea is, which is less morally culpable, if either? And that's the same thing that self-driving cars are going to have to figure out. And maybe even, say with like a robotic limb, if it starts (laughs) malfunctioning, maybe it has to decide whether, and it starts flailing around. If you've got like a heavy metal-based arm flailing around, it could do some serious damage. Maybe it has to figure out whether it, you know, to prioritise your life or the people around you? Those are interesting questions, I think. Mm. I think those are the things that it will always come down to. It's like, obviously, in terms of, like, people and that trolley experiment thing, you've got to decide whether you're selfish. Like, Mm. and obviously, being selfish is not always a bad thing. You've got to just decide whether you are more important. And that's, like, it's, like, it's not straightforward either because you could say, well, I might question to the five people because I haven't actually done anything then. You know what I mean? And that's selfish in a way like I won't get in trouble. Uh, and I'm keeping my hands yeah, clean. exactly. And then there's the other way. And also when it comes to like self-driving cars and stuff, their default surely is just going to be protect the car, protect what's in the car. And then, so that thing that you were talking about, they're probably going to drive into the people, Hmm. which is morally, obviously, not what you would want to be the case. You'd think if if it's going to be like an accident, you have a chance to be away from, like, hitting people or hitting cars or going into other cars, you'd always be here. But, yeah, until they can do that, that's always going to be the question, I think, that people are going to be worried about. But I do think with the um, robotic arm and also the uh, further incorporation of robotics into human beings, yeah, with with the opportunity for crime, it's quite interesting. Because, I mean, obviously state actors or terrorist cells or whatever could target, um, could try and hack into somebody like that. And then you could, you could yeah. have control over a, over a 
a person, maybe. Yeah. Some kind of world leader that has an artificial heart, say, and the terrorist hack in and assassinate them by turning yeah. off their oh, yeah. mechanical organs. Something like to, that. <clears throat> I hate to bring it up because I know you hate this, but that was a storyline on Homeland where like, you had to hack into someone's pacemaker. I've seen that in mm. so many yeah, different things. Yeah, didn't we things. then see it in something together? We saw it in, um, you know what it was, Elementary. I've seen so many uh, yeah. shows or films or books or video games that have that same type of because that's the I think that's like the fear right now when you're flesh and blood you are and this is a weird word to use but it kind of sums it up you are unhackable in terms of there's nothing that a computer can do there's no signal it can send out there's no command it can issue which can affect your cells which can affect your flesh whereas if you start implementing artificial parts if you start implementing some kind of computerized components into your body then you start to fall into that ecosystem of electronics you start to fall into that ecosystem of information technology where there's always going to be some kind of vulnerability in terms of if someone built a system someone else can unbuild the system to break in and so i think people are going to start to feel a lot more vulnerable in terms of how they can be affected how they can be attacked I think also people may not, it's like they don't realise that we use like serious technology for like lots of things that like the the world works. Say like the bank system, right? I'm not saying banks don't ever get like hacked or robbed or whatever, but they function in a way we need them to function and the problems are minimal. So if you think about it like that, like, yes, there are going to be situations where people try to hack in or there are going to be situations where things malfunction. But it's like that with every aspect of technology. Just like a human who's completely human, doesn't have any mechanical parts, goes in for an operation, there's a risk, mm. you know? There's always going to be a risk. I think it's only going to move forward if people are able to kind of, like... It's like what we always come back to. Like, you can't just not do it because of what might happen. Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah, there's always risks with every advancement in technology. But basically, I do think that we're nearly at that point where it's time to just get rid of all the technology, go back to the <laughs> 1700s. It's getting too scary for me. I can see Skynet on the horizon, to be honest. The idea of government We'll, we'll go back to, action. like, an Amish existence. I think, I think they've got it right. <laughs> go back to horse-drawn buggies yeah. and churning butter for sure the idea of some kind of tyrannical or dictatorial government interfering with their civilians mechanical components so for example and of course this is like 50 years in the future that type of technology but say there was some kind of huge anti-government protest going on and the government uses the gps chips that are in all the protesters mechanical arms or mechanical organs or mechanical whatever it is or brain chips they figure out who these people are they figure out which one of them have some kind of augmentation and then they just shut those off to basically shut down the protest you could have Mm. that weird situation where right now how can a government shut down a protest it has to send men in with guns or with batons or whatever and they have to physically herd you away 
Whereas then it might be the case of just flipping a switch and you fall to the ground because your prosthetic legs no longer work. I think that's where the most of the resistance will be, the control. It will be, well, now people can track us even more. They can even control us. We don't know what kind of access they have. Like, What will the law be? In some places, surely the law will be because you're now mechanical or you now have seven parts mechanical, you you operate under a different set of rules. Like, you have different laws now. And if you commit a crime, we have access. Yeah. To, and they can just, like, shut you down or change, um, say, like, your arm is a certain program. Well, now you can't, you're not allowed that program anymore. And how you know what I mean? Like there are so yeah. many different ways, and I think that might be where the biggest resistance will be: people yeah. wanting to keep like that privacy and control and ownership like to themselves. Yeah, because it would be quite scary. Because obviously, um, the government wants to have uh, backdoor um, access to Snapchat and WhatsApp. Yeah. Anything that's yeah, encrypted. Yeah. yeah. If if they had something like that for you know, prosthetic arms yeah. or whatever other part of you. Yeah. It's a scary yeah, uh, dystopia. <laughs> at some point you're going to have to update the firmware on either your prosthetic limb or some kind of brain chip. And when you wirelessly download that information, there's always going to be that point of vulnerability because you're bringing in more code. You're bringing in new code. And the idea that some kind of malicious actor, whether that's on a state level or whether that's some kind of terrorist group or whether that's just some talented hacker, 14-year-old in their basement, that someone could piggyback on that update, insert some kind of malicious code that hijacks your system. You're never going to be able to get away from that unless you basically say, once that prosthetic arm is installed on me, I never want to change it. I never want to add any new code. I never want to update it in any way. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why we like technology. It can be incrementally improved by either software updates or you can install some new parts, something like that. People aren't going to treat it as this static, unchangeable thing. Mm. And I think that's why there's always going to be um, a weakness. There's always going to be a chance for vulnerability. The thing about being like limbs, though, and like ch- chips that you can have inserted into your head or whatever. Um, obviously, ideally, it would be good if you like, you know, I need to take my arm into the shop today or whatever. <laughs> like, and you detach it, and then you can you just test carry it, it to the you, shop. You can test it before you reattach it, right? But obviously, when it comes to things like pacemakers and like mechanical organs or whatever, like that's completely different. Yeah, that's something that once it's in, it's in, and you can't. You know, they'd have to kind of go in again. So what do you guys think? If uh, there was something that you could add to your body um, and uh, maybe it would make you live longer or maybe it would improve your life in some way um, and you wouldn't really think about it because it would kind of be inside of you it's maybe. Like invisible, yeah. Um, would you be comfortable with, with that kind of thing if it was kind of hackable like we've talked about? In principle, I have no, like, moral opposition to the idea of introducing something artificial or mechanical into my own biological body. Mm. But I would say that if there was any chance that an outside agent could 
either hack into it or manipulate it or track me by it, I would be very hesitant simply because of that. Mm. But if that, and I think at this point, that's not really a factor, um, apart from maybe in some extremely rare fringe cases. And so right now, I think I'd be willing to do that because I think the chance is microscopically small that it's going to have those negative consequences. Um, so yeah, I think I would do it. I think I would easily. And I, you know what it made me think of? I was thinking about like taking certain medications for things. You never know how you're going to react to medication, whether it's like you have to take a round of like antibiotics for something or because everything has side effects, right? All the way up until like taking like antidepressants or medication for anxiety. You never know how that medication is going to affect you. And we were talking about this before. If you're on the wrong type of medication for like depression or bipolar or something like that, it can make you worse. You can have suicidal tendencies. And that's like the worst it can get, right? It can backfire. Yeah, it can almost bring about the thing that you're trying to avoid. And so really, like if you could have like the mechanical version of that, you could have a chip inserted that would rewire that chemistry Mm. instead of having to take antidepressants. That... It'd be a lot more precise. In theory, would actually be more precise, yeah. Yeah. And... And so I would, I would do that in a fucking heartbeat. It's so difficult for some people to get like the right medications. And just thinking about it like that, yeah, so I want that go. to be. I want that to be a thing. <laughs> Can we make yeah. this a thing? We need to make it a thing. Can we co- contact I don't know your local scientists? Yeah, I don't know like, what you're asking us because we are complete laymen when yeah. it comes to the hard sciences. Oh yeah, but we, someone we needs to be working on it. Yeah, and we need some kind of eccentric billionaire like an Elon Musk to get the ball rolling and then yeah. once they show some proof of concept everyone else will fall in line and see and see the profit motive of everyone is now interested in this technology we need to do this ourselves yeah. we need to expand this as much as possible there are certain areas they can hit right to get something like really popular one would be like mental health another would be like weight loss like rewiring you somehow yeah. to help you kind of get onto a track that you want to get onto mm. help me be more motivated like so it's not just like physical things yeah. like i only have one arm it's like you can have new chips now and then it, you could even take it even further learning languages like anything well, basically yeah. like that's really taking it into like the future and like shit that you'd see in like movies you know i, I would be more hesitant than both of you to have <laughs> some something you know unless it was absolutely necessary right like a pacemaker like you were saying but especially when you throw in that hackable element for me i don't know i'm just like um no it's not it's not for me i don't think so but there's even unless it was absolutely necessary yeah but that's what i was going to say anyone can kind of stomach the idea of your leg gets blown off in a in a say you're a soldier in a war or maybe you're in a car accident and it gets severed off and then when you're in the hospital and they say to you would you like us to install you know a fancy mechanical prosthetic leg anyone would say yeah sure of course yeah but there are people even right now who are thinking about electively removing amputating one of their own limbs so that they can have a better mechanical limb a leg that's how, faster how, how and many stronger. people how many I, people want to do this? i don't know what the statistics are but i've seen 
I don't know if it's actually happened yet, but I've definitely seen people discussing it seriously, yeah, not as I, just yeah. I think I think I've seen things like this before. Yeah, but, I think I can imagine people doing that for sure. But I think the great majority of people would probably not be interested. But in you could run moving. faster. You could jump you, higher. You think, you think people would do that? You could dance. Oh, how you could people dance! People who like working like mm. like labor type jobs, like. They would get that those arms that would like. That's an able, interesting point. That they would be able to like lift more. They would move faster or like wouldn't get tired as quickly. You know what I mean? Like people, especially when they work on a like you have to do so many a day in order to get like that amount of money. There are jobs that still exist like that. But then again, that takes us into well, if we've got this, surely by then. Robots are going to be doing those jobs anyway, and that's something we talked about in yeah. the previous podcast. Um, that's scary, so yeah, though. It's kind of like a because if that was the case, employers could have this huge amount of influence on how working class people augment their bodies. They could say, "Oh, you just applied to work in my warehouse where you're going to be lifting and moving heavy things." You can't do it with your old school, purely flesh and blood human body, but we can loan you our corporate mechanical arms. All we have to do is amputate your shitty old human arms, put on our new, you know, warehouse approved arms, and you can gradually pay us back with a portion of your wages. Like you could get into some really dystopian things where the underclass of menial labor are forced to make these very difficult decisions because they feel like they need to keep up with the other part of the workforce who has already done this and now has a big advantage over them when it comes to getting work. Sounds like we have a very bleak future for workers' (laughs) rights if employers are allowed to amputate their employees' arms. I really hope that doesn't come to fruition. There are going to be so many rules when this happens. Like, how how far away do you think we are from this kind of situation? I still think we're like a hundred years away. That's I I, I don't think I don't think we're close. You think we're? I think we're decades. I don't think we're close. I think it's decades. I really don't. I don't think we're moving as we. Sometimes we seemingly move quite fast. Like, certain things will pop up, mm. you can do this now. But they've been in the works for years and yeah. years. And so I don't think things move as fast as we actually think they do. And so I think, you know, it might be 50 years before, like, the first person gets, like, two mechanical arms or whatever. But I think it's not going to be, like, this mainstream thing that's really accessible for people. Yeah, maybe straight not. Away. Because obviously it's going to be really expensive to begin with. And then, like insurance probably isn't going to cover it it will just be the super rich that that do it you know and and they've all they've got to fall into that category of needing it so you know it's going to be the super rich and then like the the crazy i don't want to say they're crazy but the crazy people who want to cut their arms off who have loads of money and then like whatever why do you need to cut your arms off? Could you not just have extra arms? <laughs> you could that, be like would Shiva. That, not be, that would be like arms. Long, exactly. No, not extra arms, no. like more arms. I thought I imagined him meaning longer arms. I, I, I was meaning like four arms yeah. or, or like uh, six we, we, arms. We, we you could be like Dr. Octopus. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. went the opposite way. But Probably yeah, not sure, like back, really though. long arms as well. Like, Wouldn't you want longer arms? I'd rather have four arms than... Yeah, I'd no. rather have six arms than four I'd rather have eight arms. You see how the now arms race? Now you're a spider. Now you're a spider. <laughs> I have become a spider, a spider of myself. The arms arms race. <laughs> oh, 
That's an under hashtag underrated joke from Matthew there. Yeah, that was your joke, man. I know. Yeah. You you refined you recycling it. Recycling jokes. Exactly. Yeah. We're just passing it back and forth. Mm. This is what I would say, or the question that I would pose. How much heavy-handed government regulation do you think is going to be so on this technology? Because, for example, if you had a metal prosthetic arm that was as powerful as, like, a pneumatic drill, you could just punch your way through a bank vault and take all the money and leave. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to... I think they might even say something along the lines of this arm, this prosthetic artificial arm can be no stronger than the strongest human arm. Mm. Like, I think that might be where they set the limits. And that's going to be interesting because then you're going to have this whole black market pop up where it's like, have you heard you can get this special part that, like, frees up all the the strength in your prosthetic arm that's been restrained by these, like, restrainer chips that the government puts in them. People are going to, like, you know, like the underground racing scene where they have, like, nitrous oxide in their cars even though it's illegal and they have like specially modified race cars and stuff like that it's going to be the same thing but for body parts my wishful thinking hope is that by then we will have learned and we will know better and that putting restrictions on things just makes people want it more and that makes like all these illegal activity happen even more it's like if we just didn't fucking regulate it to like fuck like you know where it's very, 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 very difficult to have and it's very rare and, like, the people who actually need it don't get it. I just think I really hope that we know better by then and that we just are able to kind of, like, put better rules and laws in place. That's just my hope. Do you think I'll be able to get my robotic arms on the NHS? What do you think that's yeah. going to be? I don't think so. A, a private thing, maybe. Especially not if it's an elective surgery where you're just like, you know what? I'd okay, like to have it, some it, shiny uh, arms. Okay, um, f- f- for serious for a moment. Um, so if somebody came back from like, a war, you Afghanistan, know, yeah, fighting to defend this country, should they not then have their robotic arms provided by the NHS? Yes, that's, that's an interesting yeah. question. I think they should. But, I mean, the cost may well be, at the, at the beginning at, at least, yeah, sure. It definitely will. Um, exorbitant. <laughs> I've never seen such a brazen fly. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with fucking He wants insects? to be in this podcast oh, as well. Yeah, we're yeah. being attacked by yeah. insect life. Yeah. No, yeah, I think... Uh, is, is the NHS going to buckle under the, the strain? Yeah. It's buckling already, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think at first it's going to be very... That's what I was saying. It's going to be very, very expensive to begin yeah. with and hardly anyone's going to be able to have yeah. it. But I, I hope that that... Like, because it's going to take so long, I hope that isn't the case. It's like, I know they have to test it and, like, it costs more and everything, but I just hope there's some way that it can just kind of enter the mainstream as this thing that happens if you're in a situation where you need it like it's just part of the process of kind of getting sick and then recovering or whatever Mm. um and you'd hope there wasn't a stigma around it where it's like oh look at him he's got like a prosthetic arm Uh, you don't want there to be like a movement where it's like humans have to stay intact it's like well if that guy's got that super powered arm i wouldn't be saying anything to him i just let him go on his day I think that's what makes this even further away than we think, though, because I don't think that is going to happen. Like, you were saying about getting it on the NHS, like, that's going to be, like, once it's been around for, like, 30 years, 20 years. Mm. Like, because 
there needs to be the funds. It needs to become this mainstream thing where every fourth person you know has some kind of yeah, like mechanical it's just normalized. component. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going into I'm going in just for like a quick operation. Oh yeah, oh yeah, but I'm having like a chip inserted or whatever. Like, and that's just like normal. Hmm. That's sort of one of the options. We could do the operation like this. We could do the operation like that. Or, you know, you could come out with, like, four different mechanical components. <laughs> sure. And that's just going to be how it is. Mm. But I do think that's... You are imagining this is going to be in, like, 40, 50 years. I'm, like, 100 to 150 okay. years away, for sure. I just want it to happen in my lifetime, yeah, I think. I and that's why I'm kind of... You, you and your robotic arms. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> having read maybe too much cyberpunk stuff when I was a teenager, it has given me a slight romantic view of that whole augmenting yourself and becoming more than human we're experiencing a uh an interlude. <laughs> the glitch in the system there's a glitch yeah in the matrix <clears throat> so yeah another thing i would bring up which i think is interesting Right now, when you get on an airplane, you have to go through the metal detectors and they make you take off rings and belt buckles and stuff. What are they going to do when, say, most people have some kind of prosthetic appendage or some kind of chip implanted inside themselves? How are you going to protect airplanes from being hijacked when most of the passengers have a metal arm which could punch through the windows or could punch through the cabin door? I think it's silly. Like, when you're saying they take their rings off, that's so silly and unnecessary because, A, they can see that it's beeping because you're wearing a ring. And oftentimes they go through those full-body ones where they can see. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. it's unnecessary to have to take things off, like your ring and your belt and stuff. And um, so surely they'd be able to, like, see into it. But... But then again, I feel like it's probably going to be really easy to hide things in there, especially if you, like, know how or whatever. But if we're talking about hacking things or, like, being overpowered in some kind of way, like, well, people can hack into, like, playing systems and stuff anyway, can't they? Right. So there's, I mean, there's already a kind of, like, ridiculous kind of amount of, like... Risk. Yeah, in terms of, like, flying. So I just, I just... Yeah, that's just another thing where it's like, well, if we think about that too much, like, we're never going to do this, you know? Maybe you'll have to turn off your non-biological components when you get on an airplane. But can you imagine the, like, the activists who are like, you know... This is discrimination. Yeah, like, we... This is anti-metal discrimination. and, like, you know, we shouldn't have to be controlled this way and... The, the yeah, thing that concerns me is, you know, how far away are we from Inspector Gadget becoming real? Sure. That wasn't supposed to be a blueprint. Matthew, <laughs> always taking it to the place that we That's your fear. Here. Yeah, that's my fear. You could, you, you're just Inspector a cop, Gadget. you know, and then you wake up and you've got, like... Matthew Broderick in a fedora. Exactly. That was a deep pull, and I'm proud of myself he, for He's it. the actor I'd get to play me, by the way, Matthew Broderick. He's got my name, so... Sure. I have sung, And that's all you need? Yeah. I have sung Inspector Gadget twice now. I've only done 14 episodes. Statistically, that's slightly yeah. unlikely, yeah. and it happened. So it, it happened. Big Inspector Gadget fans on this show. I propose Did, a day of celebration. Does anyone call you Matt? A lot of people do. Yeah, do mo- you like mo- it? most people do. Um, I don't mind it. It's you fine. Prefer Matthew. I don't. I don't mind. It's like either way. 
you know. That's annoying that you don't mind. Does anyone call you Jeff? They do, actually. You do. But the listeners, they don't know that. That's like a shortened version of Matthew, right? I think so. I hope so. Because otherwise I'm confused why you keep calling it me. I don't know. It's kind of like a psychological experiment to see if we can rewire your brain into thinking your name Jeff. I think it's working. Does anyone call you Matty? Yeah, my dad does. Uh, that is adorable. That's yeah. adorable. Yeah. I feel like parents always have pet names for you. Come and get like your that. tea, Matty. He makes uh, the tea he makes is is fantastic. Oh. So I'm not going to knock Dad's tea. It's strong enough to kill a rhino. What? He uses six tea bags. It's deadly tea. Mm. It's true. I feel like there's tea out there that should be called like rhino tea because it's like really strong and that's like a thing, isn't it? Having like strong tea. I feel like I'm not explaining this very well. I understand well. I'm not a big fan of strong tea. Oh, like, I love my tea you, strong, really? but like milky. Oh, okay. Then it's not strong. It is strong because the tea bag makes it strong. The milky doesn't make it weak. It only makes it weak if you don't use a tea bag for very long. I'm being berated, listeners. You only use one tea bag, though. Yeah. Because I've seen people that use like three. And I've seen people reuse it like three yeah. times. Oh, God. That's my nan used to do that. That is like an old person yeah. thing. I think because they went through rationing during yeah. the war. They're now like, maybe we won't get any more tea bags. <laughs> Got to conserve them. Stockpile. Yeah. There's all those now. It's like a fashionable hipster thing to have these types of coffee that are like insanely dangerous. Like they're so strong, so potent that they approach like the lethal levels of coffee. Because of the caffeine? Yeah. If you have too much caffeine, you'll die. Mm. And there are these like ultra, ultra, ultra strong coffee that have been like engineered to be like insanely overpotent. It's like when people eat those, like, types Peppers. of food. No, you t- no. Talking about, like, when they eat, like, squid and things and it's, like, poisonous. My analogy like, made a lot more sense than yours. No, but it's like they know it's poisonous and it could potentially kill you. Right. But they eat it anyway. It's like, because, you know, it's such an adventure. Long. <laughs> like, no. And, and that's why we're having squid later, Matthew. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Squid pizza. That sounds oh terrible. Do you know, actually, squid apparently um, is becoming much more common in the UK. Do you know this? Because of the warm, because the waters are warm. Oh, you mean enough. like it's oh. becoming common in the yeah. waters around the UK? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I well, thought so Well, too. it is, it is, yeah, because apparently there are now like chip chip shops selling squid and chips. Oh, God. It's oh. going to become a new British delicacy. Johnny, every man is starting to move into like... What do you think with Johnny? Yeah. <laughs> You've said Johnny something or other like yep. 500 times today. Yeah. So, squid and chips? God, I haven't had like, squid and chips in so long. Have you ever had squid? I, I've no. had octopus. No, I, I, oh, have you? Yeah. What, what was it like? doesn't really taste like very much. It tastes like Maybe chicken. I just didn't have very good octopus when I had it. Where did you have it? In England? Yeah. It was fine. It didn't, it wasn't, it didn't look like octopus. It looked it like fine. cooked, like fish like basically it wasn't like you know was it white i can't remember it was many years ago i just remember thinking oh this is going to be a big deal and then i had it and it was very unremarkable and i was like okay that's fine what's the weirdest (laughs) meat you've ever eaten (sighs) nothing that weird have you ever had veal or anything the most dangerous game of all man <laughs> but no, um, I think no, I've not, I've not eaten anything that I weird. Think duck just is probably duck, the yeah. weirdest I've had. Yeah. That's not even weird. No, that's not weird. It's just least less common. Yeah. As all. But I mean, if you get like Chinese takeaway, then there's a lot of duck. Du- yeah, I was you have no say, idea what's in I, there. Basically, that's what. What I, I like how you both looked at me like that was some kind of offensive <laughs> comment. Yeah. 
That's no, true of like most takeouts where you don't, regardless of what food is. But I think that, you need to make it clear saying. that it was a takeout, not necessarily because it's Okay, Chinese. I'm fine clarifying it. I yeah. was saying like when you get like a low grade takeout place, yeah. you have no idea what they're pulling into it. They're probably putting some kind of low yeah. grade meat I actually into have it. a good Especially example. if it's a residential neighborhood with yeah. lots of. Should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The funny f- you mentioned veal, and the other day my yes. mom talked about having had veal, and there was a moment where I was like, I kind of scrunched my face up, and I was like, oh, yeah. that's kind of. She was like, it was so no, nice. I, I would never have veal. Isn't that like, what is it, baby what? Baby cow, isn't it? Oh. And they keep them chained up so they can't oh, move. Oh, stop. Yeah. Yeah. To keep it tender, I think. That's horrendous. That's horrible. It's very bad. The things that we do, like, that's the worst. We ha- we take baby animals. Well, I think foie gras as well. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, when people that? try to defend that, do you, want me to, do you want me to tell you? Yeah, all? tell me. It's basically, they. is it ducks or is it geese? I think it's duck. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, they take ducks and they shove tubes down, like stop, metal. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> I thought you might not enjoy the description. It's a French, French thing. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm a meat eater, but like... Yeah, yeah. We you don't have to make before. the animal suffer yeah. before yeah. it dies. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's what people be... like free-range, grass-fed exactly. meat. Yeah. The idea yeah. that the animal had at least some semblance of a decent life. Mm. Like we don't have to torture them just to get meat. It, it just seems so insane to me that we can't find some more or less ethical way to source our livestock. Yeah, that's made me really sad now. Yeah. It's sad. You're a sentimental carnivore. And what they do to all of the male uh, chicks as What well. is wrong with you? They just Stop put them talking. into grinders. Exactly. I think so. Yeah, I think that's what they do. It's crazy. It's what? pretty bad. Because the, the the male chicks, they, you know, they just Because they're useless? Yeah. yeah. That's a real thing yeah. to say, but that's what you mean, right? Yeah, because they don't lay eggs. But so. then is that any different? This is even worse, and yet we don't feel, or I guess maybe we do feel outraged about it, but we don't talk about it as much. In China, the one-child policy, they throw away girls, right? Because it's not useful as an heir. Is, is this making it to the podcast? For sure. Is it? Okay. <laughs> How dare you question what's going to be left in the podcast. Okay. Everything gets left in. All right. Oh, my God. I felt like that analogy made sense. You just said they threw away male chicks because yeah, they're not no, useful. You're right, you're right, you're and in right. China, they throw away baby girls because they want Oh, no, boys. no, I see what you're saying. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I'm getting a lot of flack on this podcast as no. if I'm saying crazy yeah. things and I'm making good points, I feel. Yeah. No, 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 it's it's sad. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's sad. Obviously, in some parts of the world, they treat yeah. baby girls as well yeah. as the, the boys. Yeah, because aren't there laws in some places now where they don't tell them what they're going to have? Because... I think I have heard about that, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where specifically, so I'm not going to guess, but, like, I have heard that this is a thing in some places... Where mm. boys are seen as more important, where they don't. It's because they earn more money for the, the family. If you're only entitled to one child, like um, as the situation was in China, I'm not sure if it still is, but um, yeah. the family, from their point of view, they want the child that's going to produce the most money for them, yeah. which is and probably a man. The other thing is, if you have a girl and she grows up to become a woman and, and gets married, you have to pay a dowry in some cultures. Whereas if it's a man, you you receive the dowry. Mm. Ah. So there's lots of little. It's weird to think oh, about. Twenty years later, yeah. I might have to pay up some more. So I'm gonna <laughs> dash this baby girl's head on the rock. Is that kind of like similar to like the tradition of like the bride's father paying for like the wedding? That's like no, that's in like the, the Western the, world. That's the right? reverse. That's like no. I mean, in terms of like 
knowing you've got to pay something in the future. Yeah, it's, like, it's vaguely Like, the if same. you have the girl, like, that's what I mean. It is like a reverse. If you have the girl, the tradition is that the bride's father pays for the wedding. Yeah, it's I know not, what you're saying. You know. Mm. What's your thoughts on bridal etiquette, Matthew? Um, you know, to, to be honest, I, I think I prefer the system that we have here, where basically, you know, if you fall in love with somebody and you marry them, I think that's a good situation. Do you think you'll get married? Like, do you, is marriage something that, like, do you believe in it? Oh, that's, such, I, that's such a shit term. Yeah. I don't believe in Believe in it. But, like, it's that's like, do the you point. believe in the two fairy? Yeah. yeah, I think we've had this discussion before, and I've basically said that, no, I didn't think that I would get married. But to be honest, now I've thought more about it, and I kind of think maybe in the future sometime. Yeah. yeah. Hope, not soon. Yeah. yeah. Maybe at some point. I like the idea of, like, some kind of, like, thing happening like a marriage. But I just don't like what marriage is, like, rooted in. So if you could, like, make your own kind of, like, thing and not call it a marriage and, like, have your own rules. And it has absolutely nothing to do with religion and, like... Getting tax benefits. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, like, you don't like you don't even have, like... You do it and then you don't even have, like, a marriage licence. Like, yeah, it's very informal you, just for you. <clears throat> but to you, that now ma- makes you married. Yeah. Mm. But, like, a better word for it. You wear the rings, you say the vowels, and yeah. in your head you're married. Yeah. I like the idea of that. Yeah. I think it's nice to have somebody else, isn't it, you think? Yeah, as we as yeah. Sam and I sit here together on the couch and you're across the room alone in the armchair. Wow. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I thought that was the point he was making. I know, no, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, just it, like it is, you know, it's nice, home. you know, when you have somebody else. Yeah, Are you nice. dating? Can we talk about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, you want to. I've been kind of seeing this girl for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to name her on the podcast, Obviously. but still. Because she is going to listen. <laughs> she, yeah, but if in some, you know, maybe she yeah. is. Uh, she's actually a huge listener. Yeah. Wow. She is. Yeah. But she may, like, find it someday she, she on one of is. your devices. And she then, Googles like, your name and it comes up and she says, whoa, let me listen to... Well, I'm going under a pseudonym on this. Yeah, we're not going to put his <laughs> name. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah. Like I said, Jeff. But yeah, exactly. so you're dating. Is it going well? Is it serious? Uh, no, I don't think it's serious. Just like a casual... Yeah. Little... You met on Tinder, right? No, not Tinder. So it's going to it's gonna be super, super serious. Have you ever <sighs> used Tinder? I have used Tinder. What is it like? Um, I did not enjoy it. It's a meat market. Really? I, I was on Tinder for about one week. Oh, um, wow. And I matched a few people, maybe five, not a lot. And, but basically, as a man playing Tinder, which, which, <laughs> playing. Is, which, which is a game that you play, yeah. right? Women, they play it very differently. But men, this is how they play Tinder. Uh, yes, 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 yes. That's it. That's the secret. You play swipe right to everybody. Just, you, oh, wow. you play the odds, yeah. And uh, women are much more kind of like, yeah, they you know, be- oh, if they don't like that guy, they're not going to swipe them. And then they find that with every person they swipe right on. They've got a match. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't that's, think it's... That's the no, truth. What I a don't. strange dichotomy Women of the gender. Women don't match with everyone they want to say yes to. They match with a lot of them. Okay, I would say that's true. Ryan, Ryan agrees. <laughs> no, fuck you fucking stupid boys. Yeah. <laughs> Women don't match with nearly every person they swipe to. And I would actually yeah. say it's harder for women today oh, gosh. than it is for men. For, for what reasons? For the reason that... You're on the spot. A lot of You're representing men, all a lot womankind. of men do just want to like have sex or like whatever. Whereas like uh, most women do look for that kind of like relationship, mm. and that's kind of like I feel like. But do you think it's easier to get dates if you're if you're a woman? Yeah. Yeah. 
course, because men are more likely to just accept anything. Well, they're, they're more likely to like approach a woman as well. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a woman's less likely to approach a man. Yeah. yeah. And, and even on the, uh, you know, the date sites, the man has to be the one that really kind yeah, of sends the sends first message. I've, I've sent so many messages yeah. when I was dating online. We've probably mentioned this before, me and Ryan met online. Yeah. And um, I messaged him first. Though, I'm a I messaged him because... He, there was a thing back then on that site where you rate them. Hmm. and you Which would is get, gross. Yeah, it is gross. But it was your way of kind of favouriting someone, yeah. I guess. I can't really think of another way to put it. Like a Facebook post. Yeah, and so you'd get like a message saying, oh, Ryan, like, rated you four or five out of five stars. Um, do you want to message him, whatever? And that's how I saw you, because you had rated me four or five stars. I liked it. Yeah. Like it was five, but who knows? And <laughs> I'll never so, tell. <laughs> so I messaged <laughs> you. And I messaged, like, so many people. And I yeah. or, didn't always get messages back. But yeah. I did get messages, a lot of messages from other people. That's the way it goes. Hmm. You never don't get the messages back from the people you want to. And then... Yeah, I mean, obviously women do message men, but I think that men message women more. That's that's the point that I would. I would yeah, make. for sure. Probably like it's, that's probably fair to say. Yeah, because like this girl that I'm kind of seeing, obviously I met her on a uh, yeah a, a, an internet. Um, Was it the same? One? Unnamed. It wasn't the same one actually. No, but right. um, and it wasn't Tinder either. Um, oh. But she told me as well oh right so this is this is the story right so she she said um right so she she was only on it for a little while and she'd received like you know 20 messages in one day sure yeah, right wow. so i mean have i ever received 20 messages in one day <laughs> i'll let the listeners <laughs> make up their own minds you can't see but he looks like ben affleck so it's rhetorical I like question that's the person exactly. that you went to yeah. what a strange ben affleck is very but, but she said to me she said to me the reason why i responded to you you were the first one yeah. Is that what she said? What, what a romantic story. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You were like the first <laughs> sperm but that that's penetrated why, but, the egg. That, I don't even think that's a bad thing to say, but it no, is a very not. strange no. thing to say. No, she, she, you know, it was funny. Did she only message you back out of the 20? Uh, was that she was also seeing some other guy, but I um, hope no longer. But you won her heart. <laughs> Did you win her heart, Matthew? Uh, maybe. I mean, Are you only seeing each other? Uh, well, I'm only seeing her. I mean, I don't think she's seen anybody else. You haven't, like, had that conversation? Uh, the no. exclusivity conversation? I guess if it's casual, you probably wouldn't, mm. like... Yeah. But, I don't know, she's really busy with, like, work and things, and um, so I don't know if she would have much time <laughs> to, to... Maybe she... Maybe, I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind it being more, like, serious anyway. Yeah. But you're a young man. Say, no, you need to get out and sow your oats. What is that crap? <laughs> Why don't you say that to her? Or do you not think she's like there? Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's not there. Yeah, maybe. Pretty much. I don't yeah. know. No, she she's she's very uh she, she's a very lovely person. I'm enjoying you know uh-huh. what we're doing so far. That's nice. She yeah. comes in the door right now, and it's a secret marriage proposal. <laughs> We've been tricking you into talking about her and marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to make a decision, Matthew. It's like a TV show. Yeah. Some corny. <laughs> Look who's at the door. <laughs> Aston Kutcher's with her. Yeah. You get You told me some strange names. Yeah. Not that you know these people. I know many so people. They're, they're future guests on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> when we get to episode 4,000 and we finally amass the listener base. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. You've got a solid listener base. We at, do. In the hundreds. Help, yeah. I guess. 
feel like we always make it sound like we only have like five listeners. Because we like to be... Because it's kind of funny. We like to downplay it. We like to be faux humble. Yeah. <laughs> That's the secret to cultivating a good brand for yourself. You've always got to be self generating. Yeah. Yep. Pretend humility when no, you're being recorded. Fuck that. <laughs> You've got to focus on search engine optimization and pretending to be a humble ass bitch. Exactly. Those no. are the two rules of getting you know big the on rules Twitter. Of the new world, self love. Okay. You have to just tell the world how you feel about yourself. And don't you know the rules of the new world order, which is the Bilderberg Group manipulating world trends and financial markets? Should we talk about the Bilderberg Group? Should we talk, talk about, about that? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's, the it's a secret bilateral commission. Exactly. Secret, secret shadowy meeting of some of the most powerful people in the world who meet every two years, maybe? Is it every two years? I or couldn't year? say. I don't, I don't listen to Alex Jones like you. And what do they this, do? this is real, though. Bilderberg is not, is not a lie. It's not a conspiracy theory. This is what everyone what? who's telling you about conspiracy <laughs> theories says at the beginning. Exactly, exactly. But um, what do they do? That's a good question because nobody really knows. Who meets? Um, so I know a few of the big ones. So pretty much any powerful like British prime minister ever goes has been there. Um, it's just a British thing. No, it no, comes from all over the world. You know, if you're if you're a powerful like a head of industry, uh, okay, a I get it. Business okay. type, and, and even like I think Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands is is a regular. And they talk about how to how to take over the world. What do they talk about? We don't know because no one's really allowed in to like record it or anything. And I think for a long time. It, its existence, if it, it, maybe it wasn't denied, but it certainly wasn't advertised. It was the Area Fifty One of meetups. Yeah, and then somehow people leaked out like uh, guest lists, and so what goes on a Bilderberg? Who knows? I love how we finally got you on the podcast, and and we got this the conspiracy theory stuff out of you. Yeah. What are there some any conspiracy theories that you believe? Oh gosh! There's, I don't really believe in conspiracy theories. I find conspiracy theories to be very interesting. Me too. Me but too. I don't necessarily believe in them. Um, Which ones are the most interesting to you then? Well, Marilyn was killed by the Kennedys. I don't know much about that one. Oh, okay. You, uh, it sounds pretty straightforward to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the theory is that the CIA killed her to get back at the Kennedys. Of course, yeah, sure. I think JFK is an interesting one as well. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I heard recently, uh, I worked with a guy who's um, uh, a graduate in history, and he told me that Lee Harvey Oswald was a communist. Yeah, he this, spent this some time in Russia. Why, yeah, this is the reason why he carried out the attack. So I think right now that's probably my going theory. But it's interesting, you learn more about it. And yeah. It's kind of fun at the start when you don't know. It yeah. is, you know what, as well? You know what, as well? Yeah. It's so easy to just think, oh, wow, like this is like true. Just for a second, you're like... Because it's more fun It'd to be easy believe. to just switch off your the logical part of your brain that's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. because it is, it's very interesting. It's like a story. Like, yeah. it's very interesting. I don't think of any that I... That's an interesting way to put it. It's the same suspension of disbelief that makes reading fiction fun. Yeah. Is the same thing that makes reading conspiracy theory stuff fun. Because you go into that mindset where you pretend as if you believed mm. and that makes it kind of enjoyable. Yeah. I wonder if there's ever been any kind of research into that where like put someone in a MRI machine and see whether the same parts of their brain light up when they look at conspiracy theory stuff as if when they look at fiction stuff. Mm. I'm looking at blank stares around the no, room. No, no, that's interesting. You know why? Because it, it's... 
You're pondering. Yeah, you're mulling over the implications. I think the problem with most conspiracy theories is that a lot of the time they're based out of unanswered questions, right? So, so say, say for example, in the Diana situation, there's apparently a white Fiat car that nobody's ever found, right? And all the lights in the um, the the in in the tunnel were were off. No, all the cameras were off, right? So there's no footage. and nobody ever found the white Fiat, so we should be looking for this car, right? Yeah. Is this the conspiracy theory that the royal family killed her? Yeah, yeah. Or, or somebody, but yeah, the royal family is the main one, yeah. people think. Um, so, there's somebody else here. <laughs> <laughs> there's someone in the room of us. Yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought, actually. We were we, talking about Diana. We started yeah, doing yeah. a seance. They're looking for the Fiat. Can the spirits hear us? They turn oh, the cameras off. Yeah, I've really got. I've really lost my train. What yeah. have you done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying, though. Those type of conspiracy theories have to arise out of unanswered and unanswerable questions. Oh, oh yes, yeah. so that's what I was going to say. So there's an unanswered question, so they kind of fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps, and there's not much evidence for what they've produced. But because there's a hole in the official story, um, yeah. you, you have a conspiracy theory. And I feel like, and I feel like we have said this before. What you make up, like what people make up to kind of create that conspiracy theory is always better and more interesting than what probably actually happened. Like, Marilyn probably really did, like, right? But it is kind of like, especially in cases where it is like someone was accidentally killed or someone committed suicide, that those things are like harder to comprehend. Like, it would almost be easier to be like, no, she was murdered, like, or, n- or whatever. Um, and I think that's also part of why conspiracy theories are so... Um, Compelling. Yeah. You make up those narratives. People look at the first story that was released about the JFK assassination and they and what is now called the magic bullet theory, where one bullet somehow managed to take this trajectory and hit multiple people and do the type of things that bullets wouldn't logically be assumed to be able to do. And they say, that obviously makes no sense. It's completely ludicrous. Let's come up with a different idea about what happened and let's make all these fantastical ideas about how there was a second shooter on the grassy knoll and there was this elaborate conspiracy with the CIA and the Russians or whatever it is. People see a little hole and they want to overcompensate by filling it, not just the hole, but by reconfabulating the whole story itself. And people do do it with existing stories. Like, for instance, when you like watch TV shows and movies, like something like Lost, the theories and stories surrounding that show... Is what made it. Is what made it. And that's why when you didn't get the answers that you were looking for or you didn't get any answers at all made it more disappointing because what the fans say look on somewhere like reddit where there's like thousands of people coming together to create this kind of like mysterious kind of like story and to give you all these answers like that's always going to be better than what that one person sitting in that room is making up especially if they're making it up as they go along Mm -hmm. like so yeah it's kind of dangerous but like fun at the same time but you do get some people who just seem to believe in like every single conspiracy theory yeah yeah it's quite um like I mean I listened to one video a while back who's um what it what it was it was Sandy Hook. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean that yeah, one if you get people yeah. who are Sandy Hook deniers, I mean that's and they think it's a psyop. 
Oh, right, yeah, yeah sure. What? A psychological operation. Uh, they hired an actor to pretend so to be ha- this guy. Hoax. Yeah, yeah, all this kind shit of... like that is kind of disturbing. Yeah. But I think that's also part of like what I was saying, is that they can't fathom or like comprehend that that really happened, that someone went in and like killed all those kids. Yeah. Like yeah. That's like one of the worst types it of does like, not compute. horrors. Yeah, and I think that's partly why people latch on to things. Yeah. And I think that's... You think about like religion like that too as well. A lot of people, life is hard to understand. Mm. Life and death is even harder to understand. And so, you know, latching onto like conspiracy theories and stories like the Bible and religions and, you know, theories about what happens afterwards, you know, it's, it's easier for people to believe those things than it is to just believe, like, life can be fucking shit and death is even worse. It's all a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point where you can just turn off that part of your brain because it's been filled in by this foam of, like, non-answers and you can just get on about your day. You don't have that vacuum, that absence in your brain that is constantly pestering which is constantly plaguing you with the fact that you don't know you just say oh we do know because there's a book and i don't really believe it but yeah. it does kind of fit in you the gap yourself, so yeah and that kind of makes your life easier because you have that foundation that bedrock on which to build everything else so are there no conspiracies that either of you believe in depends what you mean by conspiracy I, I, I kind of the Marilyn one. I kind of believe a little yeah. bit purely just because I'm kind of obsessed with her, right. and so I don't. I know that it's probably that part of me that doesn't want to believe that she did kind of commit suicide. Um, I just the fact that there any big world event, basically anything that has ever happened in world history that has had significance, there is at least to some degree, a conspiracy theory surrounding it. And when there's a conspiracy theory about everything, it makes you doubt them all in a wholesale way. Even though I know that some of them may be true or they may contain some kernel of truth. I mean, when you talk, when you look at things like the 9-11 I knew you were going to say this one. There is a real-life history of false flag attacks by the United States government. Like, uh, was it Operation Northwood? Northwoods and the Gulf of Tonkin Tonkin, incident. yeah, yeah. For the Vietnam War. Yeah. And so yeah. there is like this weird kind of basis, in fact, on which to kind of form this greater idea about the motives and the the history and the way that this has already been established, the precedent. And so when you look at that type of thing, it makes you more amenable to the more fantastical element that's built on top of it. But at some point, you have to get yourself in check and say... How much of this is just speculation? How much of this is just wishful thinking because it makes the story better? How much of this is just someone projecting their own hatred and their own irrational suspicion of any kind of authority whatsoever? And so you have to be very discerning about what you choose to place your trust in. And that's how I feel. And that's why I've kind of just... I'd rather just step aside and remove any kind of faith in any conspiracy theory because I feel like it's hard to get any single one of them right. Mm. Yeah. I think you're right. There probably are, like, a lot of true, like, little bits of truths in, like, each one. Like, when you were saying earlier about there's no smoke without fire, about a completely different subject. What about a smoke but, machine? Like... It's dry ice. Yeah. <laughs> we're just constantly bringing up ways that you can have smoke without fire. Yeah. But it's like that idea that some historians put forth that 
every culture has myths and every culture's myths began with some grain of truth that was just like stretched and like expanded and built upon. But if you were to go back and see how this story transformed via like like Chinese Chinese whispers, whispers. yeah, Yeah. you would see that that story about the guy who could lift up 50 horses and could like build buildings with his hands and lift up huge blocks and stuff like that. I'm talking about the robot guy. No, I know enough. I was just bringing it back. Like, you know, like a Hercules like figure. If you could go back and trace it through this meandering route of people adding to it and and changing it and augmenting it, you would find hundreds and hundreds of years back just a guy in a village who was really strong. And that that was it. Like, he could just lift up more than, slightly more than everyone else. But it got built and built and built because people like that fantastical element. They like a storyteller, they like something that's. Gives them something to think about. I don't think we would survive without, like, these kind of, like, fantastical stories. Like, life would be so just dull. Yeah. You know? (coughs) Suck it. Seamless transition. (laughs) And we're back. And we're back. Not that we went anywhere. We took a small break to... Relieve ourselves. To wet our whistles. Why did we it wet sounds them? like we're making a euphemism for the same thing. Water sports? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Matthew is looking at us with puzzlement and disgust. He's he's wondering if we really do water sports. Oh, well. I, I don't wonder. Don't worry. <laughs> he knows. He's got spy cams. Yeah. And he's got agents on the inside. Why do you always got to take it to a place? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Okay, do you want to give us the next topic? I don't know if I can after that lewd interlude. I honestly don't know what you're on about. Okay. I was so British. What are you on about? The next article is from the New York Times. That bastion of... Fake news. Sure, yeah. (laughs) The failing New York Times. Yeah. (laughs) And it is entitled The Law's Emotion Problem. And this woman writes how she did a study where a bunch of people were shown just a picture of someone's eyes. And first of all, they were given a cheat sheet of like a few possibilities of what their emotion was when this photo was taken. And when they had the cheat sheet, they were able to guess with decent accuracy. But when they took the cheat sheet away and they were just shown the picture and asked to say what emotion this person was feeling, it was like a 7% success rate where people just could not do this. And she takes that result and she extrapolates to say, when it comes to trial by jury, when you have a jury of your peers looking at you while you're in the witness box, they're all trying to scrutinize your face to figure out your emotional state because subconsciously we feel like that gives us some insight into a person's motives and when you're trying to judge someone's actions and the culpability of someone's actions it's just an inherent impulse to try and figure out what someone's emotions are so if you had someone in the witness box who was accused of a violent crime and they were sitting there and you thought they looked kind of cocky like arrogant and just kind of defiant you would be more likely regardless of what the facts of the case are to say 
I think this person is guilty because of the way that they are emoting right now. And she was simply saying, this is a bad instinct because we can't actually judge emotion as well as we think we can. And so this is a big problem in terms of trial by jury. And so I just wanted to see what you thought about that. My tummy's rumbling. I don't know why I felt like I had to share that. <laughs> and go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? I guess it's one of the problems of um, judging people on things other than the evidence. Yeah. But... But that's Unfor- just unfortunately, yeah. That's I think it's instinctual. Always, yeah, I feel like in large part the world kind of runs on perception, and these things aren't real. Is that when people say, and I've probably said this myself because I probably do think this. In fact, I do think this that they're like good readers. Oh, I can read people well, mm. but it's like you might go through life thinking that you can read people well because. A few times you got it right. A few times you got it right. And you're not always there. You're not always sticking around to kind of see if you are right, you know. You think you can read the fucking, the cashier's face, but you might never see her again. So you don't know if what you actually yeah. thought you saw It's not real. falsifiable. And exactly. Uh, and because you go away with without kind of being changed, you think that it, it, it was true. And you go through life like that. Um and I think that that's kind of how the world works in most part. You read a situation, you walk down the street like at night and like you see a bunch of people and you have to read the situation. Am I in danger? Are these friendly people? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, And you could be wrong. You have to make a snap judgment. And I just want to say as well, as a former cashier, you absolutely cannot read the cashier's <laughs> uh, face because they're smiling, but, you know, yeah. inside, at best, they want to go home. But at worst, <laughs> you want to Kill turn himself. the oven on and <laughs> tape yeah. all the yeah. doors. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was a cashier too. Like, you you can't, like, yeah. You have to keep smiling at people. It's like you have to wear a mask, yeah. but the mask is your own face. Exactly. It's very, it gets to you after a while. <laughs> That's strange. But you have to imagine that people looking at a smiling cashier who's been standing there for eight hours, must know that the smile is fake. I don't know if they do. Do, they, do you think people, are, they care that much? Normally yeah. they're just busy. They're, they're going about their day. And people, they would make comments as well sometimes, like, um, oh, you look bored. Oh, I'd, I'd hate to do the job that you do. Just, just, just little things <laughs> wow. like that. Yeah. These are some sadistic people yeah. you've been yeah. serving. Yeah. It's like when you make, like you walk away from the till or whatever with a friend and then like one of you makes the remark of like, oh, she was rude or whatever. Yeah. Just because she didn't like speak to you or smile at you. And it's like, Hang on a minute. Just imagine you had to do that job mm. where everyone's staring at you thinking, why isn't she smiling? Why is she smiling? Why is it she talking to Why is she me? taking why so is long to give to me, me the change? Yeah, like, they can't, they're not ever going to do everything right. Um, you know, so that type of reading, also that type of reading, I guess, doesn't matter. If we think about the type of reading that does have kind of, like, consequences yeah. or has that kind of, like cause and effect like a jury or you know if you're a police officer for instance and you think you can read people um i guess i think what you've got to also worry about and kind of like try to rein is it rein in is there might be people out there that think they can read people but they don't kind of like follow through yeah whereas like a police officer who kind of like thinks he can read people and then kind of actually actively judges that person. Like, I think this person is lying. 
and I don't have the evidence to say that they're lying, but I, you know, I got, I got that feeling, you know. Yeah. And My so, reasonable suspicion for checking your pockets is that I think you look shifty and yeah. guilty. That's the type of thing that has serious consequences. So it's dangerous when you kind of overlap that with like actual kind of judgments and yeah. like stereotypes and things like that. Yeah. Um. I guess like um. Obviously, lawyers will put their clients in suits, dress them up, make them yeah. look nice. I'm sure they coach them as well. Yeah. Try to train them to. Yeah. Not see. I mean, what would you even do? Because the person can't smile if they're like recounting how they've made a, maybe like a serious kind of expression, yeah. on like sincere. Face. Yeah, not yeah. not smiling, not crying either. Maybe yeah. just somewhere in the middle. That's a weird yeah. idea, right? Like, what does a person's face look like when they're telling the truth? Mm. Well, there's no one thing. It's very contextual. It can look different depending on what type of story they're recounting what is the emotional content what is the relevance to them and their personal life and their family and whatever it is and so there's just it's when you think about it it's such a complex thing to try and figure out in a split second when you're looking at someone's face there's so many factors involved and there's so many undercurrents of like sophisticated psychological mechanisms at work the idea that and like you said, Sam, people do really, f- a lot of people do really feel like they have the talent of being able to read someone in that way. And yet when you think about what a colossally difficult task that really is and how error prone we are when we do it, it's crazy that so many people have that confidence in their own ability. It, it works another way too, in that we think people should act a certain way. Like, you know, there are those famous cases of, like, that girl, that American girl who um, went on trial more than once for killing Amanda that. Amanda that, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the basis of the initial investigation was that she wasn't acting like someone who mm. uh, whose friend was just murdered. Yeah. Um, and there's that other woman, I don't know her name, Casey Anthony. Who didn't like? Oh, wasn't yeah. like a mess. She didn't cry. She didn't do certain things. That one's a little bit more whatever because it, it was looks her like she really did do it. But I'm just saying, like there are all these instances of like, well, you know, the way Madeleine McCann's parents act. Mm. On, and like, there's so many people today that yeah, still yeah. believe that Madeleine McCann's parents were yeah, responsible yeah. for the, for her death. The, yeah. the mom's really or like if she is cold dead, we don't know. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And there are all these, like, ways that we think people should act and react. And I probably was, like, one of those people to a certain extent. But I feel like until you're in certain situations, you don't know how you are going to act. Like, if it's a serious situation, you feel like... A lot of times as well, I feel like people react the way they think they should. So it, it, that it is very complex and complicated. It's a performance. Yeah, because it's like, well, people think I should be crying, so maybe I should cry. Yeah. And then maybe you force yourself a little bit to cry. And then they see, look, she's faking crying. Yeah, exactly. So it's very difficult. I think really what it comes down to is people need to just stop expecting. Yeah. People need to just like be and like yeah. not have this weird kind of like invisible set of like rules about the way the way people should should act and react to things yeah but going back to like the faces and like just being able to like see the eyes and stuff i don't know that i would be able to confident i'm 
I'm struggling to kind of like keep one thought in my head. I feel like I, I would be really scared of being on a jury hmm. because I would be really scared of getting it wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And obviously there's like, like what if it was a case where there was like hardly any evidence and, and you had yeah. to kind of base well, it all on like the way people act. Yeah, for, for me, I, obviously it would depend on the uh, specific case but if there wasn't a whole bunch of available evidence i'd probably be voting not guilty yeah, yeah 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 but you know maybe there was one piece of very strong evidence and it's you know maybe disputed but yeah it's yeah it's very difficult yeah. but that's why juries have to be instructed about reasonable doubt yeah, yeah i was gonna say that that makes me think of like serial like people are like is he like guilty or innocent or whatever but but then there's like that portion of people where it's like no he shouldn't he shouldn't have been able to, they shouldn't have been able to be a result because yeah, there shouldn't have wasn't been convicted. enough evidence to kind of have that. To be certain. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't really about whether he was innocent or guilty. It was about whether there was... The problem is just as juries oftentimes don't take that into account, they don't really register the fact that they have to look at the balance of evidence. They have to look at the available facts and be sure that this person is guilty in order to return that verdict, just as they don't really take that into their mind, into their decision process. If you say to them, you're not judging a defendant's emotional state, you're not looking at their face and trying to figure out what they're feeling, you're listening to their testimony and you're looking at the relevant facts and that's it. That's all you're being asked to do in the situation. A lot of times they will, because we are all just social animals at heart, they will revert to those instincts of, no, I'm going to try and read this person and I can figure out based on the way that their expression has changed, whether they did it or they or they were related in this other way. And so that's what scares me about jury by your peers. I like it in one way in terms of it takes it out of a single judge's hands and kind of at least in theory makes it so your own community is the one who's adjudicating on these matters. But on the other hand, people are stupid. Yeah. And people can be very simplistic. Yeah, pe- and, people make mistakes. Yeah. People people are, are fallible. But I think ultimately, even though we've uh, poked some holes in the um, system of jury trial, I mean, like you say, there isn't really a great alternative, you know, yeah. Yeah. handing power to one judge. I mean, there are obvious problems with uh, a jury trial. Um, uh, but... Ultimately, I think it still is the the best system, at least until somebody comes up with something better. I think so too. And I am kind of someone who is like, you know, people suck. You know, I don't have confidence in a lot of people. Yeah. But at the same time, you wouldn't want it to just be that one guy. Like, you've Mm. got a better chance, I think, with a jury of like 12 people. You've seen 12 Angry Men? (laughs) I can't say that I have. Isn't that like a really old... Yeah. You'd never seen it? No. No, have you ever seen it? Oh, you should watch that movie. Have you seen Casablanca? No. Have you seen Citizen Kane? <laughs> I was going to say Citizen Weirdly Kane. Weirdly enough, I haven't seen many there's, films there's, from there's, the There's 40s. lots of movies I want to see. But yeah, 12 Angry Men is a great, a great movie about, um, you know, jury trial. So right. basically they, they go into a room. You already, you already know the story, do you? No, I don't. I know the I don't. outline of the so, plot. So yeah. basically they go into a room and there's 12 jurors. Yeah. And 11 of them are convinced it's guilty, right? And the verdict for this guy will be death, right? He is, he's dead. This is a, this is a, must be a murder trial or, or something. Um, but one of them, he ne- doesn't necessarily suggest that he's not 
guilty. He just says, you know, we're going to put a man to death, so we should talk about it at least. And they go around the table, and it's like after a couple of hours, pretty much all of them have, have broken down and decided that they're going to vote not guilty to let this guy go. Um because the evidence didn't stack up and they were judging him, at least one of them was, because, I mean, I think the uh, implication is that he was a black man who was on trial. Yeah. And at least one of the jurors had kind of like racist motivations. Yeah. Um, so they were judging him based on things other than the evidence. Like yeah. he just looked the part. Yeah. Like he, maybe he was young as well, I think was the, the what they were saying. Oh, he, you know, he, he must have done it. But I think ultimately we have to hope that um, people will judge people based yeah. on the facts of the, the situation. Facts you know um it's not a perfect system it you know there are miscarriages of justice um but we also have appeals that people can go through and you have to hope that whilst you know it's a certainty that you know there will be miscarriages of justice it's just unfortunate that that is true um i still think we have the best system and i certainly wouldn't want to change it for anything else can't imagine what else what would we change it to the problem right now is you describing that film has made me think when you have a jury and they retire to their back room or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you could just have one guy who's really good at public speaking, who's Mm -hmm. really good at convincing people, persuading people who could just stand up and give a speech and basically be like, you know, convince people not based on something he's saying about the facts, but just appealing to their biases or their prejudices or their Mm -hmm. emotion or whatever it is. And just, change a jury's mind enough to make sure that the decision goes the other way it's kind of crazy that you could have that situation um i yeah i i think that's the case too and i don't know actually really know how it is but if we go by like what movies say which of course is always (laughs) the best way to live um is that like you know they'll be in the room and then someone they'll be like okay we need like a foreman or whatever they're called is that the right word? I think so, yeah. yeah. And then one person will just go, I'll do it. And usually mm. he's going to be the person who's like outgoing, extroverted, likes to be loud, speak. Like they're very good at speaking. They like to lead. And that is problematic in that whatever they want, they're going to try and swing it their way. Yeah. And that the quieter kind of like people who just don't, Think about being on a jury and you just like you're you're not good at arguing or you just cannot argue. You don't for whatever reason you don't really have that kind of in you. You just want to kind of and then there are people that just want to get out of there. Like it's really when you really think about it, it is very scary that like you might one day be in a position where like your freedoms at stake. Yeah. Um, especially when you hear stories of like actual real trials and the way people are about certain situations. Um, and there's so many environmental factors that are completely unrelated to actual guilt that could decide things. It could be you're tried during a heat wave and it's a yeah. really, really hot day and some of the jurors are just like, oh, I want to get out of there. Can we, can we just come to a decision? Look, I don't really care. Look, he's guilty. He's guilty. Let's just get out. It's too hot in this room. And that could end up with you going to prison for a few years. Peer pressure is a fucking bitch as oh, well. For like, sure. We all want to say that like, we won't succumb to peer pressure, but when you've got like 11 other people or even just half the other people trying to persuade you and you do have all these other 
such circumstances happening like it's hot you're hungry you know you don't have a babysitter for that day so your kids are like home alone or whatever like any kind of like you know you have to have a day off work and you're not getting paid like there are all these things that go into it that do affect the way you think like there's probably a small percentage of people that are able to kind of like compartmentalize and like detach themselves from what's happening in and just be logical and just be like okay this is a shit situation but i'm just going to be here and i'm going to be really fucking present and this is a really fucking serious situation and has nothing to do with me but i have to be a part of this decision making process and i want to make sure i do the right thing I bet that's like a small percentage of people. Yeah. I bet it's not even half. Yeah, I think all of us we're, can be easily affected by emotion. Yeah. And somebody else's argument. Yeah. Definitely, you can be swayed by yeah. things maybe you shouldn't be swayed by. It's like when we're talking about conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> you just for a second to be like, shit, I'm starting to believe this. No, 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 wait. Like, you know, and. And so, yeah, maybe afterwards, after you've left and you've thought about it, you think, actually, <laughs> yeah. no, I don't believe that. But at the time, you're like, actually, yeah. yes, I do believe this. The prosecutor yeah. just has to spin a compelling narrative. Even if there's not that much evidence, if he can somehow join it all together in this improbable tapestry of like all these different fabrics are woven together to make yeah. this larger story, if he can somehow put it together in such a way as it becomes intuitive for you to understand it as a story, that because of the way that our brains work is more likely to convince us. I saw a thing and the guy was like, a jury doesn't doesn't like DNA or like evidence. A jury likes a story mm. that they can like follow yeah, and that's understand probably true. and it makes sense. If there's all this evidence but it doesn't really make sense, you know, the mo- maybe the motive isn't very good, but like there's evidence. It's like, well, yeah. why, why would you do that? I wouldn't do that. You know, I have a friend like that, and they wouldn't do that. But if there's right stories there, you know that that can sway people you, can make sense of it. You know, mm. I like to think I wouldn't be swayed. Yeah, I think that I. Yeah, it's nice to think that you wouldn't be, but I yeah. think as well that I I could be. Yeah, because yeah, I've yeah. definitely been swayed by things before. Um, you know, through like appeals to emotion and then later yeah. on maybe disagreed sure. with it. Also, some people, like I have a thing, like say for instance, no, this guy's innocent. Like I can see all this stuff and I can yeah. see from the evidence what type of person that person might be and blah, blah, blah. But then like you might find out some information about that person that turns you and it's mm. like this fucking piece of shit. He might not commit this crime, but yeah. he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And like... You can't stop yourself. Like, I know I'm like that. Once you get, like, that way about something or someone, it's hard to turn back. Yeah, And so you just got to hope that you would be your most kind of, like, sincere and, like, logical. The guy's in the docket for a parking ticket, but you find out tangentially that he has a history of wife beating. Yeah. And so you just are like, fuck this guy. (laughs) Yeah. He deserves to have this fine, I even like though would be like that. the facts of the case might not concur with that. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be, mm. but I feel like I would. Have you seen uh, Making a Murderer? Yes. You've seen that? Yeah. <sighs> I get to be the odd man out, I guess. Yeah, I haven't seen, seen it. it. Yeah. So good. Yeah. 
So good. Because, I mean, obviously at the end... Uh, oh, should we spoil Spoilers. Should we, <laughs> no, I'm not going to watch the it. The second one's coming out soon. Uh, really? Yeah. Is it, it is it a different story? Or is no, it? no, no. It's following the... Basically, once Making a Murderer came out... Yeah, because I know they released like, the kid, didn't they? He's not released yet. He's not been released? No, no, no. Oh. Because... I don't think he's actually out yet, but yeah, he he is being released, right. but I don't think he's actually out. Yeah. That was the worst part of it for me, because he was clearly like mentally challenged, yeah. and they were feeding him the answers, mm. and he was just going, yeah, yeah. like. But I do think it's interesting, because obviously, so the jury, they saw a certain side of the man who was accused, whose name I can't remember. But, Stephen Avery, I think. Oh, Stephen Avery, yeah. yeah. So obviously that felt that was enough to convict him. Yeah. But then from the documentary, you see a much more kind of favourable side of Stephen yeah, Avery. Yeah. And the response of the majority of people who've watched it is he's, he's innocent, he should be released. But not even that he's like a good guy. He clearly is not like a good guy. Like mm. he's done other things. And you know how like they tried to get him for that first thing and he didn't do it and it turned mm. out to be another guy. Like... And so the the sheriff's office like clearly had it out for him, like, but the the evidence is not really there. And then there was that whole thing about planted evidence, mm. like really convincingly planted evidence, yeah. Not in a way people like just say it, but yeah. The worst thing for me was really just about the kid, the nephew, mm. because I don't know if I think Stephen Avery is. Yeah, completely I, I, innocent. I have no Though idea I if do he did lean that way. I, I don't know if But he did. I definitely right. think the nephew, I forget his name. Yeah, I, I innocent. Yeah, I don't think he took part in no. anything. And he's like no. most of his life now has been in prison and yeah. it's just so sad. And he, when he was talking about wrestling, mm. he was like, Am I gonna get to go home and like watch wrestling? And I was just like, No, you're not gonna it's go sad. home. Yeah, it's very it was sad. so sad. Yeah. I think regardless of whether he um did do it, I don't know if he did. But even if he did, I mean, the um, investigation was so kind of corrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That maybe yeah. it should just be a mistrial. Yeah, that's what it should so, be. So, anyway. Yeah, it yeah. was very intense watching, like, the court proceedings oh, yeah. and stuff. Like, it was so mm. insane. You down a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Is that on the ball with this, kid? Yeah. They call like, me Johnny on the ball. I would, like, You're the we would, like... Play it back and we'll be able to hear it if it was helpful to yeah. me. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that conversation about <laughs> yeah. something I haven't seen. We're just, we're just building up for making a murder or two. I had no yeah. idea that it was going to be a sequel. Yeah. This go. is actually guerrilla marketing for it. Yeah. The rest of the podcast, we just hype up the next season. The listeners don't know this, but this is how uh, we make money for this show. <laughs> we're actually in Netflix HQ right now. Yeah. yeah. They've got us in a basement. We can't come out until we make some marketing material for them. For sure. I've left Matthew speechless. A rare a rare feat, to be sure. <laughs> and so this is what I find interesting. Isn't it the case that when they're selecting the jury, they ask you questions to try and figure mm-hmm. out your biases and yeah. your prejudices and whether you know you have some kind of situation in your life that would make you want to lean one way or the other? Is there if you'd lie, is that actual perjury or is there like no consequences for just lying to get onto the jury i don't know if there are consequences um i didn't know this this was a thing where they ask questions until i watched the show about um oj simpson for the love of god stop bringing up shows i haven't seen (laughs) but like 
I feel like that in and of itself that you could ask questions is almost like fixing it because you get the answers that you want or that you don't want and then you have that person or you leave that person. Yeah. And that in and of itself is kind of like fixing. It really should just be... Random I know. People. I know it sounds like a good idea to not have like someone who's been a victim of domestic abuse, if it's a case about domestic abuse. In theory, that sounds like a good idea. But at the same time, once you start to ask questions and continuously eliminate people so that you pick the right 12, like, that's like that's fixing a jury. I know that it doesn't always obviously go, you know, your way or whatever, but I just feel like you shouldn't be messing with it. Like... It needs to be like a pure kind of like thing. Mm. Um, but again, we know it's not perfect, but what else? Yeah. What else is there? You know? I don't know if there's any consequences. There was things in that OJ thing where people had lied, but it didn't show you whether there were consequences or not. So I don't know. Like you said, the problem is that lawyers can kind of handpick the most favourable jury for their client in particular, and that seems quite dangerous. But at the same time, I don't quite agree with you when you say that someone who clearly has a, let's say, emotional conflict of interest should be able, or not should be able, but it would be probably best to exclude them because ideally, at least on paper, you want a group of people who are as neutral as possible, who can purely just adjudicate on the facts, on the balance of evidence at stake. And so you want to try and preserve that neutrality, if possible. But there's only one side doing that. It would be like one side <coughs> saying that they want to like get rid of the person who was like a victim. And then the other side would be like, no, we want that person. Yeah. Like, so... It's opposite sides trying to kind of like fix it, and by them being able to mess with it so much, that's what I don't like. But I do think you are right. Like I said, ideally, you don't want that type of person because they might not be able to be neutral. They will be right automatically, kind of like no, you know. Do you think you, if you were chosen for jury service, Matthew, you would appear, or would you try and? wrangle your way out of it i wouldn't wrangle my way out of it no i would appear do my civic duty and sure. uh, and and sit in the jury you've got the most disingenuous smile on right now no no i would do it and i think i would try my best to do as, as well as i could yeah. and try and you know uh consider the evidence and decide whether the person was innocent or guilty or not not guilty or guilty, yeah i yeah. should say doesn't have to be innocent i don't have a good time with guilt like, as in, I feel very guilty even about things that I haven't mm. done. So I worry that it would affect me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, and so I think I would probably try to get out of it. I, yeah. I don't know what the actual reasons are that you can get out of it, but I've heard that there are reasons. There are ways, secret yeah. ways. Yeah. So I think I would probably try to get out of it. And then obviously if I couldn't get out of it, I would just hope that I could do my very best yeah. to kind of like really understand the evidence yeah yeah just, just just vote with your conscience really yeah it's a heavy responsibility to have put on yourself yeah. but 
obviously if no one if everyone tries to come up with yeah, an excuse yeah. no one is ever going to get a fair trial by jury would you and there's also that thing about whether you think you're a good person if you think you're a good person surely you would want to be one of those people because yeah. if you <coughs> needed a jury you want the good people not the shit people do, yeah. do, you, do you believe in good people though Good. That's a, a what, deep question. In what sense? Good, good people and bad people. Do you think that those are like two yes. I think, different types of people? Yes. But I think exist? in this case, you are more talking about like honest, someone who's an yeah. honest person. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, okay. Okay. And smart. That's what I mean. Because I, I tend to think that there may well be good people and bad people, but they're quite a small percentage of the population. I think most people are capable of being good and bad, and they no, do yeah, they do I good do and well. bad things. I do as well. And then you just have to try and be more good than bad. I think the population is made up mostly of bad people. And then the second biggest portion is good and bad people. And then the smallest is purely good Mm. people. You're so misanthropic. I know. (laughs) It's quite a dismal way of of seeing the society. At a certain point, (laughs) reach the point of no return where you've done something so bad or you've done so much bad in a quantitative sense that you can no longer... You're locked into being a bad person, if you see what I mean? Yeah. I think maybe there are Rapists certain things... And yeah, you, you, there are like, certain things you don't come back from. If someone... Say if you had someone who, when they were younger, when they were like 18, killed someone in a car accident because they were drunk driving and they were just being stupid and they were being irresponsible and they just gave no thought to pedestrian safety. And then after that, they spend their whole life being selfless committing themselves to charity, to trying to benefit society at large. Is there a way that they could redeem themselves and swing back into the quote-unquote good person category? Well, the type of thing you're talking about is not the type of thing that I would consider to be irredeemable. Right. Right. So what what happened there was awful. Um, but at what age? 18? Yeah. And drunk as well. You know, it, it's uh, atrocious, but young people they do make mistakes and some of them they have much worse consequences than others i made a lot of mistakes when i was younger and continue to make that i can't drive right i guess that's fortunate my uncle he told me once actually when i was growing up he said you either drink or you drive right so if you want to drink right if you want if you want to develop a drinking habit (laughs) do not learn to drive so i I, I never learned to drive at a very young age that wasn't the main reason but it was decent advice right so young young people a lot of the time they make very stupid mistakes especially with alcohol and drugs uh, this was a, a, a horrific incident where that mistake led to somebody losing their life. That's tragic. Um, it's foolish what the teenager did, but it's not necessarily malicious. Or evil. Yeah, it's not It's not evil. Yeah, that's right. So if I go out and get drunk, right, very drunk and, and whatever, and I happen to get home and I've done nothing, nothing bad has happened, right? Why am I guilt-free, whereas this person who they got drunk and then they did something terrible and it's resulted in somebody else's death? You know, this could be luck that I got home okay and this other person has, has killed somebody else. Yeah. If And you were both driving home. Yeah, sure. You know, sorry, you want to jump in? But you're missing the point. Yeah. You're a shitty fucking idiot if you get behind the wheel when you're drunk. Oh, I agree. It's not, yeah. 
oh, they're young and they don't know the difference. Mm. 18 is an adult. I agree. Okay? You know that you shouldn't be driving Mm. if you're Mm. drunk. And if you choose to do it, you're a selfish cunt. I agree entirely. And I think if you then kill someone, you have to pay the consequences. I I agree, and that person should go to prison. And I don't necessarily think that they are inherently, like, evil. Mm. But no, they are. That selfishness, that's kind of like... Almost rises to the level yeah. of Yeah, evil. and so I think you're kind of being a bit too easy on people. No, I they're mean... They're young I- and they do stupid things, <laughs> but they're not 10, mm. where their brains aren't completely developed yet. They're 18, which is an adult. Yeah, and I agree. And you get to a certain age and you have to take responsibility for the, the things that you do. Yeah, I, I, and so I, agree, yeah. I don't... It is, like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 I, I know what you mean. If somebody kills somebody... And they took the selfish and irresponsible action to get drunk and then get behind the wheel of a car. I understand entirely why, you know, yeah. that that's an awful thing that they did. And it was a stupid thing and a selfish yeah. thing. And they deserve to be punished for, for what they did. I think they should go to prison for many years. I don't yeah. know exactly how many, but for many yeah. years. But I don't think it's irredeemable. That's the point that I was making. Yeah. If yeah. there is, you know, there are crimes which I think are irredeemable. Right. If, but, if you do, like, if we're yeah. talking about people who commit very grisly murders, yeah. just that, that these are the things that might be yeah. irredeemable. But we were talking about good and bad, right? Yeah. So if we talk about, okay, you say that then it's not irredeemable. Mm. Um, but that person's still a bad person, right? Because they they did something so shitty as to selfishly drive while drunk. Hmm. Well, so even though it was an accident because they were drunk, right, yeah. they still got drunk and got behind the car. So doesn't that still make them a bad person, which is what the point was? Well, I would go back to what I said before, which is that I don't really believe in good people and bad people. I think this is a person who did something bad. I agree, very bad. But that doesn't mean that they're irretrievably a bad person. In fact, if they've gone off to do a, a lot of charitable work and they've given you know, their life maybe to causes such as yeah. please don't drink and drive, then, you know, personally, I see the prison system as more... I, I think the actual purpose of the prison system should be more rehabilitation than punishment. Because I think that the goal of the prison system should be to bring people out of prison who are no longer a threat to the public. If we if we don't rehabilitate people while they're in prison, why are we releasing them? They're only going to commit more crimes and they're only going to be a threat to regular, ordinary people who do not want to have crimes committed against them. So I think basically, if somebody goes to prison, you say, okay, you're going to prison for 10 years. You know, he killed this person. You're going to prison for 10 years, right? What we, we need to create a situation where when this person comes out of prison, um, they won't commit more crimes. Hopefully they understand why they were in prison and they, um, will have something that they can go to. If that is charity, then that, that's a way that they, they can never be redeemed for what they did, right? Um, that will always be a bad thing, but it doesn't mean that they're permanently a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. However, I see prisons differently. Mm. I do believe in rehabilitation for certain types of crimes. Mm. But I think, for the most part, prison should just be a place where people go to, like, rot because they're criminals. Mm. Like, I'm talking about, like, murderers, mm. paedophiles, rapists. Don't think there's any kind of, like, rehabilitation for people like that. Do, do you Accidental yeah. murder is different. Like, if yeah. you just said, like, a person who kills someone in a car accident that's a pure accident, like, no one's drunk... It was just a case of, like, the car sliding off the road or something like that. Mm. Like, it's no one's real fault. Um, but that person, 
obviously in the eyes of the the family of the person who's died is like a bad person because they blame that that driver that type of crime is different because there really isn't anyone at fault however you know whatever um but in terms of prisons yeah i really don't see it as like i also especially because the way the prison system is it's hard to completely rehabilitate people Mm. You know, it does kind of like, not to sound whatever, but it does kind of like change you and like things that happen in there. Um, it brutalises people. Yeah, yeah, it does. And so maybe there needs to be, for people who do kind of like, whether it's like a pure accident or like something like maybe drunk driving, mm. that is obviously different to like first and second degree murder, mm. you know? Um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah. In, and I and I don't and I know that obviously it is all already separated in terms of like minimum security and maximum yeah. security, but I think it needs to be separated even further. Mm. I don't think like murderers should be in prison with like people who are in there for drugs. Oh yeah, or fraud, or like like tax evasion yeah. and stupid shit like that. Mm. Like because those people can be rehabilitated. Mm. They're not. Chances are they're not going to get out of prison and murder someone because they were in prison for tax evasion. Yeah. Like, that's not really exactly. the way it works. Yeah. Whereas, like, someone who gets, like, 10 years for murder mm. because of whatever reason they only got 10 years, or rape, they only get three years for rape. Mm. If you rape someone once, you're probably going to rape someone again. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Because that's... If you already have that inside your brain to rape or to murder, chances are it's not going to be just a one-time thing. Yeah, I, th- I think it would be a, a good thing if we keep the hardened criminals Criminal. who commit these these, yeah. these very serious and maybe multiple offenders yeah. away from people who have not committed offences like that because that yeah. is one of the problems of prison, that people yeah. that go in for somebody, I think, Ryan, you said, if they've committed fraud yeah. and then they come out and they might murder somebody. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a problem because if people, they go to prison and that's the environment that they're in, you know, the, there yeah. is a problem where people that go into yeah. prison as not um, yeah. violent, violent criminals, like they come out as, as violent criminals. Because you have to adapt to that. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Crazy obviously environment. obviously not all prison is like that. Like, mm. you know... Um, but I think there is that element of like needing to like survive or yeah. whatever. And also if you're surrounded, you know that like everyone on your block or whatever is a murderer or a rapist. Mm. It's gotta fuck you up. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's not just gonna be a regular day. Yeah. Um This is what I would interject to add. To what degree can we really say that an eighteen year old who accidentally kills someone during a drunk driving incident is the same person as the then 40-year-old who's still in prison for it. That fact of every cell, essentially, in your body is replaced every seven years, and that idea that you become a new person with the passage of years. How can we say that the 40-year-old who's been in jail for 20 years is the same person as the person who committed the mistake and therefore that justifies continuing to punish them. Well, because I don't... I think that's irrelevant in the fact that when you think about someone committing a crime and having to pay the consequence, the consequence is that they don't get to be that new person. That's hideously dark. In certain circumstances. But at that point, why don't you just take them out behind the prison and shoot them? Yeah. Well, then you fall into like... Judge Dredd. 
No, but obviously then you have to think about what do you like do you believe in the death penalty? Absolutely not. Neither do I. But I also like don't think uh, like a murderer or a rapist should get to like live in society as a normal person. So then it's life sentences for everyone who commits that type of crime, right? That's the logical I do think it should be. I think if you murder someone, it should be for the rest of your life because mm. you've taken a life. And I don't think under any circumstance we should kill people. So... I think this, this is interesting, though. So, for instance, um, uh, if, if so, so there were six people who actually died in the uh, airstrikes that were launched by Donald Trump. Um, right. Two days ago or yesterday, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Syrian, and nobody seems to have too much of a concern about this. Um, or, yeah. or when other people abroad are, are, are killed because they're suspected terrorists, then suddenly the death penalty, even without a jury trial, yeah. is yeah. is fine. Nobody really seems to have a problem. I don't remember too many people asking for you know due process for Osama bin Laden. I feel like as well there are a lot of people that really wouldn't mind if Donald Trump was killed. That 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 yeah, but that, that's tr- probably true. But <laughs> that's it's, what I mean. it's sad. No, yeah, yeah it true. is. I'm saying so like, <laughs> people. There are s- As certain Trump would people. Say sad. <laughs> there are certain people that that almost like. I don't know that like death comes easy in circum- certain mm. circumstances, like saying you know when it's someone just assassinating already. But it's like, easy to say, anyone can say that glibly, but yeah. if you put a gun in their hand and put them in a locked room with Donald Trump tied to a chair... Yeah, and Trump's a big guy, so... I mean, he's tied to a chair, yeah. okay, fair enough. But I know he's 6'3", <laughs> and he looks pretty big to me, Donald Trump. Yeah. So I don't know how... I mean, he's 70 years old, but I still... I think he's pretty tough. I don't... But yeah, what were you saying? No one seems to care about these 60 That's a, that I understand exactly what yeah. you're saying. And I mean, I've seen like liberals. So, for instance, the leader of the, the Liberal Democrat Party in the UK, who's Tim Farron, wrote an article for The Guardian uh, where he supported yeah. Donald Trump's uh, airstrikes. Now, you know, that's quite interesting um, because he obviously would be against the death penalty and certainly would support, you know, f- f- a jury trial, presumption of innocence and all these other things. Certainly these people didn't have that. Yeah, but surely he's looking at it. We were talking about earlier with the car. Would you save... Right. The one person or the five yeah. people. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I think these people are, must be looking at it in terms of like, but we're doing this so that they don't kill any more people. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So we're doing it almost like for the greater good. Yeah. But when you fall down that rabbit hole of such a simplistic, utilitarian, moral calculus, then apply that to the prison system and say, we might as well just take that guy who's been convicted of first-degree murder, premeditated murder, and shoot him in the head. Because if he does eventually get out of prison, he will most likely, based on the rates of recidivism, commit another murder. And so isn't it more just to just shoot him now rather than let him go and kill another person later? Aren't we saving that person's life by shooting him in the head? That, I think, is the argument that a lot of people say. Well, I think there's two arguments. One is there are people who want, like, some people are like, well, let's just kill him because death is the worst thing. And then some people are like, no, he should, like, be punished for the rest of his life and he should have to endure that kind of punishment. Um, And then the other thing is, why don't you believe in the death penalty and why do you? Like... Mm. My re- main reason for not wanting the death penalty is because I don't know that you can ever be 100% sure that someone did do that crime. Okay. And so my main thing is, like, I'd be worried that 
that person's going to get killed and they didn't do it. That's my actual yeah. main reason. And, and you could be on the jury for that as well. To bring it back to the original topic of yeah. discussion, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I agree though. Yeah, you can never be totally sure. It, it is a certainty yeah. that someone who is innocent will be put to death. It's it's just, it, it will happen. And that's why I don't want the death penalty. Yeah. Because it ha- it did happen. Yeah, it's ha- we know yeah. there's historical yeah. examples. Because when I think about crimes on their own, just like one crime on their own, like say for instance if something happened to me, I think maybe my instinct would be like, I want that person to die. I want that person mm. to like, whatever. I don't know if that's how I would feel. Mm. Um, but that's why you shouldn't be able yeah. to decide. But it. overall, I don't, I don't want to do that yeah. because you don't know. I would just reject it on the grounds that to give the state power over life and death of its citizenry is the most totalitarian prospect imaginable. I mean, people are up in arms about being spied upon. That's one thing. That's your privacy being invaded. That's your liberty being degraded. But for the state to arrogate to itself the power to put an individual citizen to death, that is the most control they could possibly exert over an individual under their governance. That's like a bigger version of what I said. (laughs) Just how I can't, like other people can't either. And they shouldn't have that kind of power. Do you think that people will inevitably abuse that power? And and obviously, I think one thing about the death penalty as well that's worth considering is that, I mean, I think people who don't have proper legal counsel are the ones who tend to be the victims of of, of a death sentence. I think if you have, in the United States, in certain states where it is still legal, um, and in many states, actually, I think, I'm not sure exactly how many, but, but many, um, a lot of the time I read the same story, which is of somebody who tried to defend themselves um, yeah. and then they were given a, a death sentence. You know, maybe they were guilty. You know, we have to believe in the, yeah. uh, you know, maybe they weren't, but but we, you know, we have what we have and it's the best thing that we have. Um, maybe if they had better legal counsel, they wouldn't have been given a death sentence. Yeah. Maybe they would have been put in prison. You know what I mean? So I think it is yeah. a a penalty which is disproportionately used against the poor. I think. And in the United States as well, yeah. black people. Along racial lines. If yeah. you're a poor black man accused of the same crime as a rich white man, you're more likely to be yeah, put Yeah, because to we death. know as well, apparently uh, good-looking people do better yeah. in, yes. in, in front of juries than, than people who are not so good Well, there was also that, like, this is not the same, but it made me think of it. That guy whose mugshot was released and he was like, you know supposedly extremely attractive yeah. now he's a model he got out of prison and because of all the attention he got like his mugshot went viral on like facebook and um yeah. he's, he when he got out he's everyone was like oh yeah i want to marry him i don't even know what crime he committed well this is a good thing because hopefully he won't re reoffend now yeah. yeah he's got something to yeah. go into he's turned his life around <laughs> that's that's, that's why we need prisoners but, to but work that's insane, on things isn't it? that's why we need handsome prisoners but that's insane it's isn't it bit, that your mind might overlook something because they're attractive to oh, you in yeah. some way yeah. that's fucking insane but that's just that's how less people humans. work but it's yeah. also yeah. just the way we think about like the way a lawyer might be able to convince you with like their opening statement or something like because they're so charming and mm. so convincing and the way they tell a story yeah. it, there's some it's verbal scary flourish when that you think about catches your attention yeah mm. but like we were talking about earlier i think you ultimately have to accept that there's always 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 no matter how well you instruct a jury no matter how intelligent that 
pool of jurors happens to be, there's always going to be that aspect of fallibility that you just simply have to accept because to err is to be human. And the alternative is to have some kind of super intelligent AI that has no emotion, that is completely neutral, simply just weighing up the different facts you input yeah. into it. And no one is particularly eager for that because it would seem so kind of dystopian and yeah. so kind of there's no what you'd feel almost like you were up against an impossible foe because you're going up against a computer that can't be reasoned with whereas a pool of human jurors you can try and convince of your case and there is also certain aspects of evidence that's open to interpretation as well like there was a big thing in the to bring it back to making a murderer um there was that scene, I don't know if you remember, where the woman was like, but the DNA is open to interpretation. Right. That was a big part of one of the ep- later episodes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, how could it know? It either is or it isn't a sample of whatever. How can it be open to interpretation? It's science. But but I guess there is, like, you know, that you hear about it in other things as well. I guess there is, to a certain extent, the facts and the science but someone has to be able to make sense of that science and not everyone's going to make sense of it in the same way, hmm. even though it is rooted in fact, not fiction. So, yeah, it, you know, <laughs> it, that's why that's why I don't believe in death penalty because I feel like you could have a fuck ton of evidence and, and you all, could be convinced, and, but, yeah. but, you know... And the death penalty is obviously very permanent. Like, if, if we put someone to in prison for 25 years, right, and then 12 years down the line we, we find out, oh, the evidence wasn't as convincing as we thought yeah. it was, let's Which do a retrial, happen. and then the person is able yeah. to walk free. They've lost 12 years of their life that they're never going to get back, but they're not dead. They're probably yeah. going to get a million dollar supplement. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but also they have the opportunity for the rest of their yeah. life. Yeah. You know, it's been... They've had some of their life taken away from them. But, you know, if you kill somebody, that's the end. There's no bringing them out of prison. But then I guess the counter-argument is, especially in somewhere like America, there are so many layers of appeal. There's so many layers of opportunity for you to try and right that wrong before they do put you to death. That some people would argue that you've had every possible chance to try and change the judge's mind or to change the public's mind or to change a jury's mind or whatever it is that if you get through all of that and you've been on death row for 10 years or whatever it is we are now reasonably certain that you cannot prove your innocence but i don't think that system is perfect in that i think in certain circumstances when you appeal you have the same judge like with making a murderer when they like are you on commission for this show seriously like they have the same judge so what if it was the case that like the judge was just convinced of something or whatever when it comes to sentencing i'm talking about um and you have the same lawyer and the other team has the same lawyer and you know yeah so there are all these situations where it's not perfect the system isn't perfect and you can appeal, but if you're not allowed to enter new information, you're just appealing because you have that one chance to appeal. Mm. 
then the outcome is going to be the same. Yeah. So the appeal process isn't also... It's like a facade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think as well, um, I would disagree slightly with that um, idea that if so many years have gone by, that that means that, you know, you've had your chance or or, or there's there's not going to be new evidence because um, our ability to interpret evidence will uh, advance advance as we as we move forward. So maybe something, if they have something that they didn't realize was, was evidence, maybe further down the line, they'll realize that it is evidence. Yeah. Like they Just see, like in the 60s yeah. and 70s or whatever, when there was no DNA. Exactly. And then they yeah. fu- years later, they say, let's test this evidence. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't test it back then. Like, there's going to be new yeah. and improved ways, ways of doing to, it to, to, just yeah. in yeah. five and ten years. Yeah, it's possible you could find a case, you know, decades down the line that... You know, the, yeah. there, was, there was evidence that suggests the person is not guilty. And by then it's too late if they've been put to death. Exactly. Another thing that, like, I don't, like, reason why, yeah, I don't want the death penalty. And then I talk about, like, murderers and rapists and stuff. They should get, like, life. There shouldn't be kind of rehabilitation for those types of people. Because it's like, what does, like, five years or ten years do? Like, does that, like, change your mind? Like, I, I can't imagine that that amount of time is gonna someone who's like willing and like wants to rape or murder just for like the sake of it that's in you like you can like say oh i regret it but you regret it because you didn't want to go to prison Hmm. you didn't regret it because you didn't like doing it like you wanted to do it and and that's why i'm like i think those types of crimes you should get life yeah um, yeah, I'm not really sure how I would feel about that. I think especially with murder, like you've taken somebody's life, you know, and after so many years you're allowed to continue to have a, some, yeah. some part of a life yeah, of your own. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, but for me, I think it would depend on the degree of the crime. So this is what happens a lot of the time when it comes to who, who gets the death penalty. It has to be like a, a, a special type of murder. It can't just be a murder. Yeah. It has to be something very like cold uh, horrific, very horrific type of murder yeah. um that's where the top punishment goes it's difficult though isn't it um i can't say that i understand the mentality of murderers and rapists enough to to know whether you can actually rehabilitate mm. um i mean obviously i hope that you can because mm. a lot are released and we certainly don't want them to be released not rehabilitated people also see crimes differently like vastly like when you like for a lot of people rape and murder is like the same or even in some cases rape is worse you have to live with that forever Hmm. you've been raped it could also be like the worst case scenario where like maybe a gang has taken you and for like months or years they just raped you endlessly for some people, that's worse than death. Yeah, that that's a uh, extremely you know? horrific action. So yeah. it's like, and it doesn't even have to be that because I don't want to diminish any kind of rape. It could just be one rape, one sexual assault, and that can affect you that's for the rest enough. of your life. Mm. That is horrific enough. It doesn't have to be that extreme case. But like that for a lot of people is worse than death because of the way it affects you and it affects the people around right. you. Um, and so... It comes all back to, like, perception and interpretation of things and the way we see things and the way we think about things. That's a problem, obviously, because the law is supposed to be this immutable, objective, scrutinising force where 
it's like you know the statue of the woman with the blindfold on and the scales like that ideal of we don't let those perception and they don't let that emotion seep into our decision making process when we adjudicate on a particular case and we say this is what you deserve for having committed that crime and yet like we were talking about earlier we all know that that is inevitably going to become a part of it and that in a sense kind of makes a mockery out of this like solemn idea of the law as this kind of pristine shining force of righteousness in the world i wonder if we would get more precise results if you didn't see the like criminal or like the criminal air quotes criminal sure (laughs) um because when we talk about judging people going back to like looking at the eyes and thinking we can read people yeah like in a lot of cases what are we calling them what do we call them defendant yeah the defendant they don't even take the stand. They can choose not mm. to because obviously it will not go in their favour or whatever it is. So in those cases especially, why do we even need to see the defendant, the jury? Yeah. Like, uh, the I, only reason yeah. you need to see them is so that you can judge them. Exactly, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why, yeah. And so I feel like maybe you should take that out of the equation. Unless they have to take the stand. I just think yeah. that would be... Or even if they don't need to take... Even if they do take the stand, why can't you just see the audio, have the audio? Why do you need to see their face? Because I think that would be too dispersonal. That would be too detached from the reality of this is a real person sitting here telling me something yeah. which allegedly happened. It might actually be easier to convict them. Because yeah. You, can't, yeah, you don't have to look at them and yeah. acknowledge them as a human being and give them that fair shake of... I'm going to try and act as fairly and as neutrally yeah. as possible in this case. No, you're right. We should move on to the next topic. <laughs> were we talking about that topic for a long time? I feel like it we were. It does feel like on, uh... Okay, so we'll just move on to the third. For the love of God, let me get settled. Oh, okay. When, when you're settled. <laughs> you, in fairness, you didn't make that clear. You did not make that clear. <laughs> Keeping all this in, by the way. We're good to move on? Go. Okay, yeah, maybe we should just move on to the third topic. Yeah, I think we've talked about yeah. the law and death and criminals and juries enough <laughs> at this point. This has gradually become a law-based podcast. Mm. We're all studying for... Which is very good, Sinezo. I never did law at all. The bar exam. <laughs> people out there who really have studied law and they're like, you people don't know what you're talking about. This is what ordinary people think the law yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to release a three-hour companion podcast where they just pick apart every statement we make yeah. about how we think things think are. that good, yeah. do you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the last article of discussion is entitled Northern Ireland Sex Worker Bids to Overturn Quote-Unquote Dangerous Ban on Hiring Escorts. And this was a news story on The Guardian about a woman who is trying to get the law changed in Northern Ireland where it's illegal to purchase sex. And after reading this, I actually had to Google whether prostitution was illegal in the rest of Great Britain because I assumed that it was, but I didn't know. And I was quite surprised to find out that it's not. Technically, prostitution is not illegal, but the entire infrastructure around prostitution like keeping a brothel or being a pimp or 
as a prostitute soliciting on the curbside, all that type of thing is made illegal to try and discourage the practice itself. And so I just thought it would be interesting to talk about whether prostitution should be illegal in a kind of larger sense. I think it should be legal in all areas. Right. I yeah. don't really know that I can give a reason why, purely because I think the thought of it being illegal is absurd. Hmm. I I have to say that all of my, I guess you could say, quote-unquote, libertarian instincts compel me to say that, yes, of course, you should be able to do whatever you want with your body. You should be able to make a private transaction between you and someone else without the law, without the state interfering. That is largely what my brain says in response to me pondering this question. But there's also a certain amount of maybe childish moral queasiness that I encounter when I think about the idea of somebody selling their body that makes me want to reconsider, that makes me kind of hesitant about saying that I think that this should be legal. But ultimately, I do lean towards this being legal. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of ambivalent about it, but I kind of lean towards uh, legalization, but I'm not entirely sold on it. It's hard to be enthusiastic about yeah, the Yeah, because I think like we can talk about it as somebody being completely in control and selling their own body. Of course, they should be allowed to do that. That's something that a, a private citizen should be able to do. But that's not really the reality of sure. prostitution a lot of the time. When talking about people who could be in very bad uh a very bad situation financially to have ended up in this uh profession or you know in a lot of cases we're talking about people who may well also have addictions and and, and other things like this but the, i mean i think the the point that could be made though is that maybe we could improve conditions for them if we did make prostitution legal i can't tell whether you two have answered this way because you're boys <laughs> I can't tell whether you're saying that in seriousness or in what, what do you What do you mean? I don't know. Like, I'm surprised. Yeah. Especially at you, Ryan, because I know you better. I, know I feel like I'm being scolded by I my mother right now. I don't understand why you wouldn't... Like, especially from someone who believes completely that you should be able to do what you want. That's basically the... Ba- in, in very basic terms. Yeah, like I said, in like, principle, I'm definitely for this being legalised. I just feel so uneasy about it. So I think it's because it. you are a boy. Mm-hmm. No, it's not out of an instinct of we have to protect these vulnerable women, no, like they can't make that. choices for themselves. It's just I think about the idea of someone being in a situation, and like Matthew said, it's usually <clears throat> because they feel like they have no other choice, or this is the best of a bad bunch in terms of the options available to them to make money. Where I think about someone having to sell something as intimate and personal as a sexual experience with their body that just makes me kind of like uneasy it makes me kind of just want to recoil from the prospect itself but you have to realize that people sell themselves for lots of reasons and they're not always this kind of like dirty kind of like desperate yeah i get that like Especially kind of like in recent times with things like people who do like cam work and like things like that online. Like, that's a I very sanitized are, version I of prostitution. I think there are much more 
many more people that are prostitutes for reasons other than I'm so desperate this is the only thing I have left or I'm an addict and I can't think of any other way to kind of get my drugs. Like, a lot of people don't want to work a shit job and they enjoy sex and they also enjoy getting lots of money and attention. That's also one aspect of prostitution. Um, I guess that's more so in the world of, like, I guess you could say, like, proper, like, escorts and things like that. Mm. But obviously there is also a huge portion of it that is, like, you know, that desperate woman who doesn't know, and desperate man, who doesn't know what else to do. Um, But I think you even said it yourself, that, like, what do you say, squirmish? No, but... Yeah. Being morally squeamish is a good way to describe but my But I think that comes reaction. from that side of it that is kind of like desperate. Yeah. And so I think you need to be able to look at it from all angles. And when, like, when you do, you should change your mind. The situation <laughs> yeah. will become more clear. Do you think that the situation that you're describing, which is <clears throat> more of a person who has made a very reasonable decision to get into this profession. Um, do you think that's kind of the majority of uh, people who become prostitutes? Maybe in like certain places, like maybe like here or like in the West, hmm. or like maybe in other places, it's more of like they're being made to yeah. by like pimps and like other people. Um, and also because they don't know any other way or because they're desperate and can't work or because they're addicts. Mm. Obviously, we have that here in a large amount. But I also think that they're also probably like, you think of like an escort, you know, well, I don't know anyone who's an escort, but you don't know that. You might know five people that are escorts. It's not like they all have to wear the scarlet letter. Yeah, and and so I think it's probably a lot more common. Like, there's a reason that it's... You know, it's like the world's oldest like job, right? Mm. Like, there's a reason for that. Yeah. And so I think, I think it probably is. Maybe it's just my wishful thinking that it is more so people wanting to than having to. You know. Yeah. Well, this is what I would say to turn the tables on you. Is I think from your perspective as a woman you're more inclined to want to see it. And like you said, as wishful thinking, as kind of this offshoot of female empowerment, where it's these women choosing how to use their bodies, how to benefit from their bodies in a financial sense, rather than like we've been talking about this desperate choice made without any other options. You don't really want to do it, but you have to, because you need to scrape some money together for rent or you need to scrape some money together to get your next heroin fix. And I think we are both coming at it from slightly skewed perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, there's there's a big problem as well with um, uh, people who are trafficked into countries um, who end up becoming basically, you know, they become prostitutes, obviously not of their own volition. But actually, this is one of the reasons why I would lean towards legalization, because I think if the government had more of a role in kind of regulating these this industry, maybe there would be less abuse. They could crack so, down. So, for instance, in Amsterdam, I know that um, if there is a, a prostitute who has a problem, they have a button that they can press, a panic button, oh, where wow. the police will respond. 
You know, I mean, if there was yeah. a if if there was a, a prostitute in this country who was in trouble, you know, the chances are it would be harder to get a hold of the police. Yeah. So so maybe that would protect prostitutes, regardless of why they got into the profession. It would protect them. I agree. It's like drugs. It's like if all drugs were made legal, there wouldn't be as many kind of like cartels and things like that. Like mm. because it would be people would be able to get drugs. If it was legal, like we were saying in a previous podcast, there would be, like, drug shops eventually. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would be a normal thing to go... You would just get go, it from the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, to go into, like, the shop and just get your drugs. It wouldn't have to be this kind of, like, under-the-table, the backdoor, criminal thing that has all these other elements in, entailed, like gun crime. Like, all those other things wouldn't be involved because it would be legal. Yeah. And it'd be the same with, like, sex crimes. Yes, it would still happen. Mm. People would still force people into this. Um, but you've got to hope that it would be a lot less. Also, if I was trying to look at it, prostitution being legal, just in a sense of all prostitution is this kind of, like, you're either forced into it or you're doing it because you're desperate. And, we're, you know, pretend there's no kind of, like, escorts who want to do it, right? I still think it should be legal just the way I think drugs should be legal. You know what I mean? So when you, when you say drugs should be legal, do you mean that um, every drug should be sold? At, you should be able to go to a store and, and buy uh, whatever drug th- that you want? I'm not saying there should be stores for all drugs, but I think if you take away the fact that it's illegal, a lot of that crime would stop because so, you wouldn't so, need... Yeah to kind of like secretly buy things you would be able to get it in a legal way so how um so you would be able to buy it from a shop if if you could get it legally well no because drug dealing would also be legal oh drug oh okay wouldn't it be better to make to allow shops to do it than no i'm saying like yeah it could happen either way it could happen either way all right like yeah and that same thing could happen with prostitution Whereas right now you have these CD backroom brothels where the women who work there have no legal protection whatsoever. They have no sense of safety. They have no sense of security because they have a pimp who might beat them if they don't do what they want them to do. They have a brothel madam who just looks at them as money-making machines. They're in this situation that is completely engineered towards A, keeping itself secretive, and B, milking as much money, even if it's in a very unethical way, from the women at their disposal. Whereas if it was legalized, you could have kind of brothels in broad daylight where everyone knows what's going on. There's no secretive stuff behind closed doors. There's a certain amount of regulation and rules. Yeah, there'd be prostitution (laughs) unions. I think it would be a good thing. You would get better help from the police, hopefully, because it wouldn't be seen as this illegal thing that's very kind of like grey area. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be that way anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think in uh, certain Nordic countries they have a law where basically, so the so prostitution is basically illegal, but the prostitute themselves is not the criminal. The person who buys right. sex yeah, is the criminal. What, it's like do, do we do we think that is a, a fair is is that no. the system? No, I we think don't that agree. With this system is too that leans in too much to the idea that it's the person who purchases who is the wrongdoer. Yeah. Whereas I think we need to move more towards an understanding of the transaction where it's let's set up all these safeguards around it to be sure. So we can kind of make sure it's as um, 
on the level as possible. But let's go forward saying that neither the person who wants to purchase sex nor the person who wants to sell sex is in some way a criminal or a wrongdoer or someone who has to be punished or reprimanded. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't support that system either. But yeah, that's just a band-aid on the larger problem. Yeah. And it's also just kind of a feel-good policy where it's like, let's protect these women by getting tough on these disgusting yeah. men who want to prowl and yeah it's not workers. dealing with the issues as to why they're a prostitute in the first place yeah. in fact it's going yeah. to hurt them because it will hurt their business yeah so really the the right thing to do would be to try to address you know why they became prostitutes in the first place <clears throat> if you're going to make prostitution illegal right well to me there's kind of an interesting more nebulous question about when people say well, look, there's all these high-end escorts who make a really good living. They do their thing in a very safe, pristine environment where they have all the control. And basically, they are the ones who dictate everything. And they have quite a good quality of life in terms of what they're doing. That's fine. And I understand that. And that is definitely a lot better than being a streetwalker, quote-unquote, in a dire neighborhood and, you know you are subject to attacks and you're subject to beatings and you're subject to being taken under the wing of a pimp or whatever it is. But I think there's an interesting question about to what degree can we say that people, and obviously I almost said women just then, but I guess you have to say people, to what extent do people really make a free choice to go into prostitution isn't it very much dictated by things like class? Like you're much more like infinitely more likely to choose to become a prostitute if you have very little money. How many rich people voluntarily decide to become prostitutes? I wouldn't imagine that. Presumably nilch. And there's other things. There's like just environmental factors or just incidental things. You probably, I think if there was a statistical analysis of it, you are probably more likely as a woman to choose to become a prostitute if you are quote-unquote conventionally attractive or you have large breasts or you have like a sexy accent or whatever it is. Like these, there are all these other factors that kind of get intermingled in your choice to do this, which I think we can say kind of degrade the degree of volition involved. Sure. Not to remove agency entirely, but just to say that the idea that everyone has this choice and you get to decide to make it for whatever reasons you want, that is kind of true in a sense. But there are all these other forces which kind of subtly channel you towards that route. Yeah. I mean, to what extent do most poor people have a free choice in what job yeah. they get to take? Um they don't really they have to make ends meet and you have yeah. to do things you don't want to do exactly i watched the movie uh do you know i daniel blake you seen that movie i know of it i yeah. haven't seen it well I, I, is it okay if i spoil a tiny bit of the movie sure but the, so obviously it's about people who are desperately poor and they're basically uh subsisting on the welfare state in the uk um, and the woman in it, she basically falls into prostitution as, you know, and she's obviously, she's got, uh, two kids, I think, um, as the only job that she could get. Um, 
You know, it's very sad. Yeah, but I mean, I think that th- these are sad things. But I think really, if we legalized prostitution and allowed there to be more regulation and allowed the government to be more involved in it and protect the people involved, we would probably do away with all these problems because the problems we're talking about they exist now. Yeah, you know, that pimps and, uh, and 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 all these other things. So, I mean, we're not changing the the game. It's the world's oldest profession, like yeah. you said. So, it's not going to go away. But just to play devil's advocate, if we do accept this base fact that poor people are more likely to go into professions like prostitution, if you legalized it, you would give them even more reason to do so. Whereas Mm -hmm. right now there is at least the deterrent factor of you risk being colored by the police. No, because really desperate people are going to do it anyway. Just like really desperate people who want drugs are going to get them anyway. You know? They're going to get them maybe by doing illegal things like prostitution or robbery. And then they're going to illegally buy the drugs. So I don't think that's the case because truly desperate people are going to do it regardless. Right. I get that. So you might see less people doing it at the escort level. But, I mean... Again, that's still a massive thing and it is illegal. Mm. So I really don't think so. Mm. But obviously we maybe should point out that some, like this isn't the case for all prostitutes, you know, high-end escorts, like I think we were saying, maybe they have chosen to do this, they might be earning a lot of money out of it. Um, Some people look at it in a way of like, well, I'm going to be having sex with people anyway, so why shouldn't I get paid for it? And also it's... For some people who don't want to work like a shitty like nine to five job or like a ten hour shift job, yeah. having sex with someone is a lot less time than mm. doing an eight hour yeah. job that you don't want to do. It's like an hour. Yeah. You could book in like two people each day. That's two hours. Like some people obviously as well, like you gotta look at both ends. Some people it's not a big deal like that. And some people it is. It's gonna like affect them greatly, it's gonna change who they are, yeah. it's gonna destroy them almost, you know. Um and I'm sure some people do end up committing suicide because of the things that they've done. But like you've gotta look try and look at it from all aspects. Yeah. Like some people it is kind of like a lot easier to kind of like do and they have a sense of like wanting to do it. And then on the other end, it's like they're doing it because they absolutely have to. Because they have children or whatever, like, you know. I know I said that I don't think we should be criminalising people who want to buy sex. And I stand by that. But in a vaguer sense, what do we think about someone who would be willing to do that? Isn't that, in a way, the ultimate objectification of a person I don't recognize you as a human being. I just see you as a way to achieve my sexual ends. Like I want to use you as an object for my sexual gratification. Doesn't that say something about you as a person that's kind of scary in a way? Mm, I don't think so really because I feel like there are, again, lots of reasons why people are with prostitutes. Um they might not be very confident. They might feel like they're not good at dating. They might have never managed to get, like, a date or a girlfriend um, or boyfriend. Um, 
And then there's other reasons, like there's lots of reasons why a person might seek out a prostitute. Maybe, look, maybe they want to practice, who knows? Like, you know, Hmm. I don't think it's always the case that the man is going into it or the woman going into it. (laughs) Give it up. Yeah. For the love of God. Going, yeah, this this fucking woman, she's just, she's nothing. She's just an object and I'm just going to fucking do whatever I want Mm. and she's going to have to just take it. (laughs) But then there are men who, there are of course men like that, lots of them, but there are also men that are like, you know, look at it in terms of like, you know, this is like amazing and this woman is like, you know, goddess and she's going to teach me all these things and it's going to be truly fucking magical and maybe yeah. they have like a standing appointment for five years like mm. do you know what i mean and they respect like, the person yeah exactly there are people do it and buy it for lots of different yeah do, do you think a lot of this comes back to like a kind of puritanical view of like sex that there's something wrong with it you know what i mean yeah, like as if yeah, there's something yeah. wrong with because you've, you've said oh does it say something bad about a person that they want to you said maybe objectify a woman but maybe they want to have sex which yeah. i think yeah. is a pretty normal yeah average human impulse and maybe and it is like, difficult been, for people to date or like sure. walk up or whatever. so are, are we not just demonizing somebody for wanting to have sex and then somebody right. else for providing it for money right <laughs> it's a you know it's a service yeah. both people and end up happy yeah. as, yeah. as long they want. yeah maybe if we did legalize regulate these things we could create a system where you know you do have people making informed choices nobody is victimized necessarily they're just people buying and selling a service yeah. it just yeah. happens that service is sex <laughs> so i guess in a way it's not super super different if you exclude the financial aspect than two people agreeing to be quote-unquote friends with benefits because in that relationship, you're basically saying, what I want from you is sex. And what you want from me is sex. And that's really the level that we interact on. I see you as someone who can benefit me because you can give me that. And I give it to you in return. Yeah. And so I guess in a way, that kind of relationship is the same type of thing. But we don't denigrate that. We don't demonize that, like you said. And so I think that does serve in a way to show a certain level of moral hypocrisy on the part of people who look at a prostitutes and b people who would use prostitutes and say, you are this disgusting monster who is completely perverting this pure idea of sex as like this thing between a a man and a woman, you know, quote unquote heteronormative Mm. in a loving relationship. And that's the only time and context that sex should ever happen. And so, yeah, I, I definitely see that other point as well. And even on an even less personal situation, one night stands, how many people, like, go and have sex in, like, the bathroom of the club, don't even know each other's names, can barely hear each other over the music, they have unprotected sex because they're drunk and they don't, you know, they never see each other again. That's less personal than, like, an escort experience. And the only difference is... Apart from it being better, probably, because it's an escort experience and that everyone wants to please everyone and you do have some communication, is that money is exchanged. Right. That's the only thing. And if you can just get past that for whatever strange reason, like whatever hang-ups you have about that, then there's no difference. In fact, it's better in a lot of lights. Well, it's mm. more honest because yeah. if you think about a guy who goes to a bar and who's willing to lie to women and pretend to be someone he's not just to have sex with them, that is in a way, in a fundamental, inherent way, 
much more dishonest than a person going to another person and saying, what I want from you is sex. That is what I want from you. I don't want anything else, but I'm willing to pay you in return for you doing this for me. There's something very straightforward and simple and honest about that, which I think you have to keep in mind. And yeah, I guess some people, maybe they resist like the commodification of sex though. Yeah. Like you say, maybe they still think that sex means something, even if they were going through this kind of uh, charade, like at a nightclub or something, yeah. you know, it's still kind of, it's kind of a game, you know, oh, this guy woos the, the girl or whatever. And then and he then negs her. He negs her, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, but I guess, yeah, maybe it's kind of old fashioned attitudes. Maybe we should view sex as just a commodity that can be bought and sold. What do, you, what do you think of that? I think that's probably we are going to very at a glacial pace. We're going to incrementally move towards that perspective. I think it's going to take a generational change, um, but I think we are probably going to have that much more lax, much more carefree view of sex mm. in the future. I just think we're not there yet. And definitely this, further along than than where we were yeah 60 years ago for probably sure. i was gonna say like uh 50 years ago but that would put us in the 1960s yeah. which we don't want to be so we'll go back to the 50s when it was more conservative sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> well played sir um there is of course also you can't escape the gendered aspect of it why are 95 percent of prostitutes women that's not accidental there's a cultural and societal reason for that, which I think a lot of people want to ignore. Hmm. And maybe you can say it doesn't really matter, but you can't pretend it. there's not an underlying mechanism about gender relations at work there. Well, I think it's partly also because men, men are more likely to want to pay for it than women. Like, it's also, like we were saying earlier... When you were saying, is it easier for women to get dates? Like, say if it is just... The reason why you want to pay for sex is because you find it hard to meet someone and you want to have sex, you want to have a good time. Um, Then as a woman, it is already easier to get that date or to meet someone than it is for a man, is what we're trying to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also, they're just less likely to pay for it than men are. Men are kind of like, just like how we were saying our men are like easier in terms of like who they'll kind of go out with. Like if someone likes them, you know what I mean? Obviously this is generalizing, but I do think that's the case. Like more men are going to pay for it. Just like more women are going to sell it. There are more women prostitutes than there are men. Yeah. Surely. I think that's definitely true. So you're saying you don't think it's a nefarious consequence of whatever's going on you think it's just kind of no i think it started out that way for sure because women were always like they were like the sexual property of men and they were also only there for certain reasons in the eyes of men and so it started out that way and it's grown into this thing like just like there are going to be women who want to buy sex from men there are male prostitutes yeah of course of course so, but at the same time, I definitely understand this whole you can do it ethically, but there's a certain amount 
of behind the curtain stuff that you can never be fully cognizant of because you're not exposed to that. So if you're a guy who is talking much like we are and says, I want to go and pay a <coughs> prostitute and I want it to be this upfront, honest transaction where we both get we, what we want and it's a completely ethical thing that we're doing. But at the same time, you don't know <coughs> whether that prostitute is, whether they've been trafficked into the country and they're being held as whatever, a sex slave by their pimp. You don't know the behind the scenes background information, which could mean that you're taking advantage of an already victimized person, an extremely hyper vulnerable person. And so I guess that is what legalization would do. It would take away that unknown. It would take away that gray area Hmm. because everything would be out in the daylight. It would be out in the open. It would Hmm. be regulated and it would be transparent. And so I guess that would be a very beneficial side effect of it. Hmm. I agree. I guess this is the um, rationale behind the uh, Nordic model, which is that you don't know if the person has been victimized in some way. So it's irresponsible to try and buy it. Um, because, you know, this person could be, you know, addicted to drugs or they could have been trafficked into the country. So that's kind of, I guess, why. But um, like you say, if legalized it, regulated it, um, maybe we could, you know, I think we would significantly reduce some of these problems. Yeah. If not get rid of them entirely, probably is impossible. But, you know, to diminish their effect massively, I think we could. I also think there's an interesting debate to be had about what the boundaries of quote-unquote prostitution are are people who take part in pornography prostitutes because they're being paid to have sex Mm. are cam girls prostitutes are people who work phone lines prostitutes i guess it's a gray area isn't it especially with regards to pornography because nobody would uh, really support banning pornography really yeah I mean, but if you were for banning prostitution, you would surely have to be for banning pornography. It seems to, it seems to me that that would be true. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of overlap between the two, apart from, like you said, the really puritanical people who want mm. to ban any kind of sexual yeah. expression. That's because not- a lot of the time, porn is seen as kind of like the. Um, the libertarian thing. It's yeah. like, if do you support legal porn or illegal porn? And that's if prostitution, maybe people see it as a step further. I think there is a certain amount of double standard there. Yeah. I'm not sure if it has any huge implications or whether it's even a weighty consideration in this debate, but I just think it's interesting how we've tried to put this one thing by itself, prostitution, a woman standing on a street corner offering to sell her body for sex for money to presumably men. We want to say that this is a thing unto itself and has to be considered as such. But I think if you really look at it in a clear-eyed, open-minded way, you'll see that there's actually quite a wide and diverse spectrum of the ways in which people sell or advertise or employ their bodies in a quote-unquote sexual way for financial or material gain. You're nodding well, yeah, appreciatively yeah, yeah. at my point. Yeah, for sure. Do you have anything else to chime in on, Samantha, dear? I don't think so. No. I think so if we reach some kind of uh, conclusion on prostitution, yeah. but we all generally seem to think it should be legal. Pretty much, yeah. 
Yeah, but I think Sam uh, Samantha, sorry, was more uh, <laughs> kind of supportive it. of of whereas Ryan and I are a bit more tentative. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, I would support it. Like you know, I don't know if I would quote unquote support it. Like I'm not going to be a cheerleader for the act of prostitution, but I think that, like you said earlier, is that I would find it so abhorrent to have to sell my body in a sexual way and you so you would, you would never do it no i, no, I wouldn't would. be able to do it i don't think it would make i think me... i'd be able to do it not sure i would do it <laughs> yeah sure that's an interesting distinction to make i think i just don't want to project that on the idea itself and that's what i'm trying to avoid doing mm. Mm. I think I support it because at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that you should be able to do with your body what you want. Yeah, yeah. And if that means you want to receive money for sex, then you should be able to receive money for sex. Mm. And no one should be able to tell you that you can't do that. And that's why I would support it rather than just be like, yeah, it should be legal. Mm. But at the same time, I would like to see it decreased or diminished in the sense of if you got rid of wealth inequality if you got rid of inequality of economic opportunity like i said (coughs) most prostitutes are poor people (coughs) looking for a way to get money if everyone didn't have to worry about that sense of financial insecurity i think prostitution as a last resort would become a very minuscule element of society but i think that's a whole other conversation yeah as in there needs to be real resources for people who don't like there needs to be like (laughs) clear lines of like if you don't have anything or any way of getting anything you should have resources yeah and it should be unlimited it shouldn't be like we only have 50 like enough resources for 50 people or 50 places or whatever it is, whether it comes to like shelters or whatever. Like there needs to be more resources for people who are in that situation. And until that changes, then, you know, we can't really hope for that because what else we're saying it's their only choice. So there is no other choice. Yeah. But that is obviously very dire and depressing. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think we're in a situation right now where welfare and public spending seems to be being rolled back rather yeah. than uh, yeah. than them pushed on. So, which I think, as a knock-on effect, you would, if you were able to examine the correlation in a very precise and definite way, you would see that when things like welfare initiatives are rolled back, you would see a commensurate increase in prostitution. Mm. Which is, you know, yeah. horrendous. And crime. Hmm. I think I did read something uh, the other day where somebody, it was a study which showed that uh, if they, um, if the funding gap in the NHS wasn't met, then more people will be sick. So that's, that's something. Sure. If you can imagine. That, that required a study. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't adequately fund something and it has a knock-on effect. Less medicine, more sickness. Exactly. Yeah. Breaking headline. Yeah. The AP reports. So, yeah. Now that we've all become extremely somber mm. and introspective, I think we should probably wrap this bad boy up. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a good one. It's you think been so? nice to have you on the podcast, Matthew. It's been good. Yeah. I, hope it, I hope it came out okay. So. You've been a good addition. Yeah. 
We've enjoyed it. Have I been the best guest that you've ever had? Yeah. You are number one. <laughs> well, mm. close. Ru- Rudy's number one. But... Rudy's yeah, number one. Okay. <laughs> Rudy's always number one. Aww. He's like the unofficial every episode guest. Yeah. Even though he's not in the room, his presence is felt here. <laughs> he's close by. He's somewhere. like a force ghost. <laughs> that was a deep pull Star Wars reference. Oh. Don't worry about it. Okay, so it is, I believe, your turn. Yeah. I think to do so. the do. To do the do. To do the do. Why is it a song? Everything's a song. Everything is a song. So, okay, let's go. Ready. I'm delirious, seriously. So, yeah. (laughs) I'm serious, delirious. Serious, delirious. Serious. I don't fear serial and serious, delirious, ethereal, mysterious. You're losing it. I was trying to think of another rhyme, but it wouldn't come. (laughs) Okay, cool. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with anyone else you think may like it. New episodes are released about two to three weeks after the last one. Sometimes less if we're... If we're feeling Feeling particularly productive. You can find the podcast on iTunes and pretty much all of the podcast services. Or you can go to rtappodcast.com. That's A-R-T-A-T podcast.com, which redirects to our SoundCloud page. You can send any feedback or comments to rtappodcast.gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, which really helps podcasts. Thank you. You really ran through those like a steamroller. Yeah, well, I'm like hungry and tired. It's time for it's food. Not a good it's time for movies, and then it will be time for glorious, glorious sleep. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, it was good to have you on, Mafia. I'm sure you'll return at some undetermined Maybe. It future. It depends date. on the ratings. Yeah, I'll let you know the we'll Nielsen see. ratings yeah. for this episode. Yeah, we're hoping for 4.2 million, but it's mid-season, so I think it might be a little bit more than that. Yeah, we'll we're see. hoping. <laughs> We're hoping that your star power can kind of bump up the audience appeal. Maybe. You're a big pull for the uh, 16 to 25 demographic. I feel like somehow you've got even quieter. It, it's been a long, uh, long journey. <laughs> it has. So, you know. Cool. That'll do it, I think. Listeners, are they still listening? They might not be. No. Honestly, at this point. I thought that it was over after you've read out the uh, yeah. the plugs. You think so, but this is actually the never-ending podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just leave the mics recording. Yeah, you'll never know what I'm going to put online <laughs> until it happens. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. The music used during the intro and outro was kindly provided by Christopher from soundslikeanearful.com. See you next episode. See you next episode. See you next episode. That's the one. <laughs> you got to leave the laugh in there as well.